Welcome, everyone, to episode 15 of season two of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shroud. Thank you to our top Patreon subscriber, Darren Monk, and all other Patreon supporters, Adam Hahn, Christine Welchel, Isaac Rennert, Andrew Darby, Cody Wilson, Ben Rothenberg, Patrick Friel, Jeremy Horwitz, Dargan Ware, Joe Graziak, Anthony Garino, Adam Villani, Peter Broda, David Croson, and Mike Jesiorski. And to anyone listening, your name could go here. Feel free to sign up at patreon.com slash recreational thinking. Our guests today are Aaron Lichtig, David Goldfarb, and Greg Fenno. Is that right? Faino, although it's Danish and that's not really correct, but we say Faino. Faino. Okay. Remember that order is arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. So if you could now, in that order, just briefly state where you're zooming from in approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Aaron. Sure. I'm Aaron Lichtig, zooming in from Silver Spring, Maryland. work in marketing at a manufacturing company called Zometry, and I I live here with my family, my, my wife and two boys. All right. David. I'm David Goldfarb, though I'm really a California boy. I'm living in Houston, Texas, where I do testing and QA for a business software company. Cool. And Greg? Greg Faino, I am from and currently live in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, Peachtree Corners at the present. I am an actuary for a consulting firm located here in Peachtree Corners. All right. So this game is in four rounds, one individual and three specialists. The first round I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prior material. So these next questions will serve as a quote unquote warm up, not in the sense of being easy, sort of throwing you in at the deep end, but you know, letting you get used to my writing style and getting your minds warmed up and so on. And they'll also be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers if necessary. For this round only, you'll all be answering just as individuals. So if the first person the question is directed at misses, it'll go to the second, then the third if the first two miss. So the further back you are in the order, the less of a direct shot you have, the more time you have to think and some potential answers could get taken off the table. We'll rotate so each of you gets to answer three questions in first position, three in second, three in third, and then the rules will change after that. And I will explain those new rules when they happen. We're also playing under the, what the contestants have now gotten me to call the Jimmy Lee rule, basically In order to encourage you not to pass, if you don't give an answer to a question, you'll be penalized one point unless you give a reasonable reason or explanation of why you don't want to to venture a guess. But it's just to kind of encourage people to remember that when there's no penalty for guessing, it's almost always in your best interest to guess. And just a general reminder, the content of the podcast is you talking through your thinking process. So don't internalize your thinking, you know, let the audience in on your thought process, share any kind of interesting connections you make or interesting stories, but you don't have to talk just for the sake of talking. We don't need filler. And now if we're all ready, we'll begin with, oh, and I will be uh, pasting the text of each question into the chat window so you can see it in addition to hearing me read it out loud. So if we're all ready, we can begin with Aaron in first position on question one. In its lyrics, Al Stewart's classic Year of the Cat describes its setting only as a country where they turn back time. However, knowing a little bit about the lunar zodiac, it's possible to deduce that Stewart's exoticized tale of a tourist meeting a beautiful woman and abandoning his group to stay with her most likely takes place in which country? Uh, I'm not familiar with the song. That's what you see, sir. Year of the Cat. I will say South Korea. All right, good guess. Good logic there, but not correct. Passes now to David. Heard this song. It's been a long time, and I never paid much attention to the lyrics. The 
I'm trying to remember if the cat is even part of the Chinese zodiac. I think it is. I mean, I know tiger is, but the house cat, I don't know. Turn back time. I'm not sure that applies to China. I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and, and guess Fiji. Okay. Good guess, but not correct. Greg? Also would have guessed it was tropical location, but I'm trying to think that my initial thought was turn back time could refer to the conversion from the Julian to Gregorian calendar, but I think that was the opposite. I think that turned that turned forward time. So all I really have to do is it it sounds I know the song. It it it, it sounds to me like it takes place in a tropical location. I don't see any reason to favor one or, or over the other so i'll just say jamaica okay yeah so the the lunar zodiac yeah i mean it basically kind of spread out from china where they had kind of divided up into 12 animals the thing is though that the chinese zodiac doesn't actually have a cat in it right it has the year of the mm-hmm. rabbit yeah it has the year of the rabbit and the one place where the year of the rabbit was replaced with the year of the cat is vietnam mm. Hence, oh. mm. that makes sense Hence the kind of deduction about where it takes place. All right. So David is in first position on this question. Emmy-winning lead performances by Jane Fonda in 1984's The Dollmaker, Jessica Tandy in 1987's Foxfire, and Hume Cronin in 1993's To Dance with the White Dog were all scripted by what woman who nonetheless remains best known as a children's fantasy author? Okay. Hmm. I would think, I feel like I, I, I ought to know something about children's fantasy authors, but I, I haven't seen any of these television shows. You know, when I try to think of, of children's fantasy authors who've written for television, nothing is springing to my mind. I mean, I don't, I don't think, Le, I mean, Le Guin is not best known as a children's fantasy author. I don't think she wrote for television. Uh, and I, I don't think, uh, I don't think Diana Wynne-Jones did either. So certainly those are much too early for J.K. Rowling. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess Diane Duane. I don't think it's right, but I got to lock in something. Right, right. Yeah. I don't think I'm familiar with that author, but I'm, I'm sure I'll look her up afterwards. All right, Greg. I don't know any of these, but to me, the, and this is just probably based on my age, the quintessential children's fantasy book to me is A Wrinkle in Time, which is by a, a female author, Madeline Langle. And I, I see no reason to guess anything different. So I will, I will guess Langle. All right. Yeah, definitely. You know, right general time period, right gender, right genre. So a perfectly good guess, but not correct. Aaron? That was my guess too. Um, trying to think how else we could do this. Fantasy, children's fantasy authors. Who else could we have in that time frame? I was going down the direction of like Maurice Sendak, but that is not a woman. I'm trying to think of who else could be, if, if you interpret fantasy quite broadly, where else would that get you? I don't really have much here. Octavia Butler. Okay, yeah. so this is a woman who, even though she's originally from the UK, I was very surprised to learn that kind of her screenwriting works, you know, because they all kind of center on rural parts of America, usually like the American South. And I'm not really sure where she got an interest in that from, but she definitely worked very closely with Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy, who were kind of a famous married couple, one of the, the leading couples of the American stage. 
And in fact, after Jessica Tandy died, she actually became married to Hume Cronin, which is something a lot of people are surprised to learn. But yeah, as an author, she is most famous for the series called The Dark is Rising. Her name is ah. Susan Cooper. Susan Cooper. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read The Dark is Rising books, but I didn't know any of that about her, about the author. I was very surprised to learn it. Yeah. Now, when you when you know her from the book, which are very like high fantasy based on kind of Arthurian legends, and you don't really think it's someone who, you know, wrote a lot about rural Americans in the South, but I guess she contains multitudes. All right. Greg in first position on this. Bazem Youssef, the surgeon turned comedian dubbed Egypt's John Stewart for hosting the satirical news program Al Bernameg made his Hollywood acting debut as the voice of a reanimated pharaoh in The Living Mummies of Totra, a 2017 episode of what animated children's adventure series? Okay. The Living Mummies of Tothra. Um, this is not something that I know, so I'll have to go based on the time frame and an animated children's adventure series. I think that <laughs> I will uh, I think the time frame is approximately correct for the show Gravity Falls, which did have some supernatural type elements to it and just so happened to be the fact that my cousin who's the creative director of that show, Michael Rianda, and in honor of him, I'll, I'll guess Gravity Falls, although I, I, if it's, that's correct, it'll be embarrassing because it'll reveal that, that I, I haven't actually seen the show. Either well, way. well, then I guess you, you can be relieved because, yeah, so, I mean, very good guess. Uh, definitely children animated <laughs> adventure series. Very popular. Had a lot of great guest stars. I think yeah, Alfred Molina, I remember being very good on that. Yeah, good guess, but not correct. So, Aaron? Oh, man. I, the first thing that jumped into my mind was a show like Wildcrafts or one of those where they are doing a lot of traveling in the natural world. So I'll I'll go with that. I don't really have anything better. Wildcrafts is what you're Wildcrafts, yes. Okay. It's my guess. Is that, is that like the same guys who did Kratz Creatures? Yes. Because I, I vaguely remember Kratz Creatures from my childhood, and I guess they've done other shows since then. That's interesting, but not the correct answer. David? Well, I don't watch a lot of children's adventure series. Uh, a couple of possibilities that come to mind might be Adventure Time or Rick and Morty. Something about reanimated pharaohs and living mummies sounds more like something in the contemporary world, where you know, Adventure Time, I think, is a secondary fantasy world. So I'm going to go with Rick and Morty. Yeah, I would not call Rick and Morty a children's series. <laughs> uh, well, okay. <laughs> I would. I would. Uh, I have, well, I, I've never watched it, so I don't really know what its tone is like. I would advise discretion for uh, parents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this was a show that definitely had a crossover audience among adults, both because uh, you know it was very entertaining and had a, a good voice cast, and because it was a reboot of a show that many of us remember from our childhoods. It's called Ducktales. Yes. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Next cycle. So back around to Aaron in first position. Titanium White, a 2016 Polish thriller film that takes its name from a white pigment, stars Peter Adamczyk as an art student named Dominic who travels to Porto Ercole, Italy and meets a woman played by Master of Nuns Alessandra Mastronardi. Dominic is in Porto Ercole because it was the site of the 1610 death and burial of what real-life painter? 
1610. So we're probably looking at, so we are late Renaissance and we are in Porto Ercole, Italy. I don't know the town, but it's probably coastal. Death and burial. Does it have something to do with titanium white, like the, the pigment itself? trying to think of where that could be. My, my first thought on this was Caravaggio, although it feels a bit late and he didn't use a lot of white. No, I think I'm going to go with that. I don't really have anything better. My, my other one would be Botticelli or something of that nature. Uh, but I'll, I'll go with Caravaggio. All right. Yeah. So I think from what I remember from Wikipedia, the actual pigment titanium white came about in the 20th century. So I'm not really sure where the title comes from. But yeah, uh, in terms of who it is, I mean, a lot of the painters from that era we call by their first name, but there are some we can't call by their first name, like Michelangelo Caravaggio. If you called him Michelangelo, you would be confused with someone else. But yes, you, you identified him as Caravaggio, and that is the correct answer. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, doing it mostly off the date there, but... Glad it worked out. Yeah, I think that it's a very small town. I think the only reason people kind of come there is because of the connection to Caravaggio. And he met a, a rather violent and untimely end. Yes. Well, as I discussed in a previous episode, someone else also met a violent and untimely end because of him. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. So, okay, good. I always want to not have this round be a shutout. I always want at least one correct answer. So we've met that goal. All right. Off the schneid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David in first position on this. At a November 1960 party intended to launch his campaign for mayor of New York City, who got into a vicious argument with his wife, Adele Morales, and ended up stabbing her near the heart? Lord. Yeah, New York politics a decade before I was born, really not my thing. This is not something that I've heard of. Oh, boy. I don't know. I, mean, I really kind of got nothing here. Uh, just. Guess Rockefeller. Just pull a name out of the air. All right, fair enough. Yeah, got to guess something. It's always better to guess something than just, yeah, not guess anything, even without my special rule about that. <laughs> yeah. That uh, incorrect. Greg? So much about New York politics in this era. It doesn't necessarily have to be a politician just because he ran for mayor once. It, well, certainly in, in present day, you can run for mayor without being a politician. People often do. I don't know who Adele... Morales is. I've, I've never heard of her before. Somebody associated with New York of that time period. Let me think of a guess that makes sense or else I'll just just say a random name. I, I, can't, I can't off the top of my head think of a guess that makes sense, so I'll just say Johnson. Uh, yeah, in the, the previous episode, there was a Johnson correct answer and the one before that, a Smith correct answer. So <laughs> that is a thing I do like to use for reward guessing, but it's not, not doesn't pay off here. Aaron? I, this is a weird one. I, I was trying to think of people who killed their wives in New York City in the 60s and Carl Andre came to mind, but I don't think he ran for mayor and that was not his wife. It has to be somebody who is not, I would guess, not a political figure or someone who is running kind of a, a vanity campaign or, or some sort of a joke campaign, I, but also somebody who we would know well enough for it to be a, a potential question. I will go with Jackson. 
All right. Yeah. So this, yeah, I mean, I think Greg had the right intuition as someone who's not really known as a politician, but in his case, but basically someone who had a very high opinion of himself and who thought he could win a campaign for mayor, regardless of whether that was true or or whether he was capable of keeping his emotions in check the way, you know, a normal ethical person would. But yeah, someone who came up as a literary figure, but by that point was kind of a sort of free-floating public intellectual. And yeah, his wife didn't actually die, which is why it is very baffling to me how this incident has been forgotten. Because I mean, even though his wife didn't die and did recover, you know, he came very close to killing her. And that's not something that should be swept under the rug. But his name was Norman Mailer. Okay. Whoa. certainly heard of him. It does ring a bell. I have never never heard heard of that story. Oh, my goodness. It's really surprising how many people who are familiar with him haven't heard that particular biographical fact. That's why I write questions about things like this. All right, Greg, now in first position on this. Some obligatory Staten Island content in case Randall Ang is listening. What general and chief engineer of the Panama Canal is the namesake of the vehicular bridge connecting Elizabeth, New Jersey, and Staten Island? Born to Belgian immigrants and likely Christian in honor of a U.S. president, this man shares his surname with a direct descendant of his who played Kevin McAllister's sister in Home Alone. Okay. I don't know the bridge at all. Belgian immigrants certainly suggest it should be either a French or German last name, depending on what part of Belgium they were from. Because I can try and think if, if, if he was born, if he was the chief engineer of the Panama Canal, he must have been born in the mid-1800s which means his name would probably be named after an early president. Maybe depending on how old he was, it could even be Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, of course. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who plays Kevin McAllister's sister in Home Alone, of course. It is an interesting fact. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have any choice but to guess Lesseps. I know that's somebody associated with the Panama Canal. So that's, that's, that's the only thing I can guess. Okay, yeah, I think he was he was involved in the Suez Canal. So I guess oh, he was Canal. That's right. Yes. Yeah, but no, but I see your logic there. Good guess, but not correct, Aaron. I don't have much here. I think at one point this was in my brain. It is not right now. Come up with a good Belgian surname. We'll go with a Flemish surname, and christened in honor of a U.S. president. Let's go with Abraham Van Mosevelde. <laughs> nice guess. Uh, nice, nice creativity there. <laughs> but unfortunately, I uh, can't give you any credit, David. Well, unfortunately, I haven't got much here either. I mean, the only namesake bridge in the New York area I can think of is Verrazano, which, which certainly is not the, the intended answer here. I do not know the name of the chief engineer of the Panama Canal. I have not seen Home Alone. So I'm, I'm sort of reduced to guessing a, a French or German surname. Likewise, I will try LeBeau. All right, yeah. So in the previous episode, which hasn't been released yet, we talked about how, yeah, sort of there's the three, there's three vehicular bridges connecting Staten Island and New Jersey. And from the perspective of New York City, the outermost of them is called the Outer Bridge Crossing, not because it is the outermost, but because it is named for Eugenius Outer Bridge. But this is one of the other two. There's also the Bayonne, which connects with Bayonne, New Jersey. The one connecting with Elizabeth, it was named for George Washington Gertels. Okay. Yeah. He was also the first governor of the Panama Canal Zone. Yeah, someone who accomplished a lot, but maybe not. His name hasn't 
isn't all that well remembered outside of Staten Island. All right. We're on Aaron now for this first position. This is the last cycle of these. So each of you will be in first position one more time. So starting with Aaron, what is the American name of the villainous video game boss whose original moniker is said to be a Japanese pronunciation of the Korean soup dish gukbap? American name of the villainous video game boss whose original moniker is said to be the Japanese pronunciation of the Korean soup dish gukbap. So in Korean, gukbap means rice soup, which in Japanese would be, what a Jap- unfortunately I speak some Korean and Chinese, but not really much Japanese. So I'm guessing a little bit here. Rice soup. Japanese could be similar to Chinese pronunciation should be me tongue me tongue tongue I'm trying to back into it off of that but I'm not there yet American be something that was out in Japanese first let's go with Ganon okay that's a good guess but unfortunately not correct pass to uh, David Video games, not really a, a strong subject for me. I have actually studied a little bit of Japanese, but uh, I don't know what uh, Japanification of that would be something like Gukubap, which is not raising any associations with me. I'm actually honestly impressed with Aaron for, for getting as far as pulling out Ganon. So, I mean, I really don't have a lot here. I think I'm just going to go to all your base or belong to us. And, you know, the Zero Wing, and you know, it had a villainous person named Cats. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock in Cats. Yes, unfortunately, that guess has no chance to survive. Take <laughs> my time. Faster, Greg. The... The only thing I've been thinking about is I know that several characters in the Mario game franchise had different names in Japan and America. I think it's fairly unlikely that Bowser is known by that name in Japan. It's possible that Koopa could be related. I I assume Koopa is named for Kappa, the the Japanese turtle, but but it it could have something to do with that as well. And and, and, and just, just purely on the notion that characters like Princess... Peach slash Toadstool had different names in the American and Japanese releases. And this appears to be a character that has a different name in America and Japan makes me guess Bowser. I don't have a reason to guess anything else, so I'll guess Bowser. Yeah, I think I discovered this fact while kind of going down the hole of learning about the Kappa and those other, what was the term for uh, Yokai, those kind of spirits. And yeah, I think it made very logical sense that Koopa would be derived from Kappa. But it's actually a pronunciation of Gukbap. <laughs> and yeah, so the, the villain known as Koopa in Japan, sometimes in the US called King Koopa, but also known as Bowser. Uh, that's interesting. All right. Yeah. So that is correct for Greg. And now David in first position on this question. Anum Kwaisar and Humza Yusuf are among the prominent Muslim members of what political party? whose perhaps surprising appeal among Muslims led one journalist to rhetorically ask whether it represented, quote, the first nationalist movement that ethnic minorities don't feel threatened by. Uh, I know. Is this a political party in a, in a non-Muslim country? Huh. 
a nationalist movement that ethnic minorities don't feel threatened by. Man, I mean, I, I can't even tell what country we're talking about. I mean, is this nationalist in the sense of, of, of like native, nativism in an existing country or, or uh, something that's breakaway in, in a new country? Oh, my mind is just blanking on me here. I don't let's go out of left field and say Sinn Fein. That's a good guess, but unfortunately not correct. So pass to Greg. Trying to think of nationalist parties. I am thinking of, well, from a competitive balance standpoint, I probably shouldn't say, but for the purposes of the podcast, I can say I'm thinking of the UKIP. I think in Italy, the Five Star Alliance is the nationalist party. I thought it might be perhaps an Indian political party. The only Indian political party I know is the BJP. I, I don't think they're a nationalist party. The, the best I had to go with, because I know there, there are Muslims in France and Marine Le Pen's party is quite well known. I, but it just, it just, as I was explaining that, escaped my mind. I, I think now I'm second guessing myself, but I, I think our party's called the, the National Rally. So that, that would be my answer. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't remember the name of her party. It was called the National Front. I think maybe it got renamed recently. It uh, is it national. Recently. It was National Rally this time around. I, I think it got changed to the National Rally. I forget what it changed yeah. its name to. Yeah, in 2018, it changed to National Rally. So yeah, that is that is the correct name to call it by, but unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, not. but not As a, the fact that you had to look that up indicates that it's not the correct answer. Yeah, and I think I don't think there's a lot of support among Muslims for that. I wouldn't have guessed so, but 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 I I, I suspect that this would be a surprising fact, you know. So I don't right. I did I did say surprising in the question. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see absolutely where you're coming from. All right, Aaron. Yeah, my my first thought on this was something way off the radar of Western national parties, like something out of Japan or potentially even like CCP, which CCP is likely not popular among Muslims in Xinjiang. But if these guys who, who have names that are a bit less Turkic or probably maybe moved to cities, it could be that. UKIP is an interesting guess because I, I, I mean, I, I suppose m- most of the people in UKIP are not that friendly to ethnic minorities, but the question does say surprising appeal, and that that <laughs> would be surprising. And the, the question, like the rhetorically question, could imply that it's like, I don't know, somewhat shocking or not serious. I Mike, I would go with UKIP because that would be very surprising to me and I'm, I'm sort of talking myself into going with a, a Western nationalist party for this one. So you're lacking it's in center of my mind that perhaps the, perhaps the Muslims don't, don't like the EU that much. So UKIP might make sense. Yeah. I, that, that, that's my rationale. UKIP, maybe their families have been there for a long time. They don't like the EU. They don't want anything to do with France. Maybe they feel it's better. All right. Yeah. I think, I think though it certainly is the case that a lot of ethnic minorities do feel threatened by UKIP. But I mean, you are absolutely in the right part of the world. I mean, you know, you talk about the UK. What's what's the other big nationalist party in the UK? 
Scottish Nationalist Party? Scottish National Party, the uh, SNP. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Anam Quasar is an MP for SNP. Um, Tomsa Yusuf is in the Scottish cabinet. That would have been a better guess. I have, you know, I and that now that it just jogged a memory that that I've I've heard of Anum Quasar before from some research I was doing on British MPs for um, for some international quizzing. I think she's a controversial or or otherwise MP that's often in the news mm-hmm. in the UK. Yeah, she recently talked about being stopped by police in Westminster while wearing shalwar kameez. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question of this round. We'll start with Greg in first position. Sometimes scammers get scammed. For four months in 2013, who had to deal with not yet exposed grifter Anna Delvey squatting rent-free in his Soho loft? Okay. So we're looking at a scammer who is, well, it doesn't have to be, well, Soho could be, I was just thinking of British, but Soho could also be New York, of course. So I'm trying to think about when Bertie Madoff was arrested. And I feel like that was before 2013. So I'm, I'm trying to think of another scammer that might make sense as an answer to this, but nobody is coming to mind. So I, I think I'll just say Bernie made up Perhaps I'm misremembering the, the years. That's a good guess. Yeah, definitely. If you're thinking about New York City scammers, that would come to mind, but not correct. Eric? Yeah, I, I was thinking it couldn't be quite that easy, but that that is a, a good guess. And the other people I... I, I was thinking of, is it one of the Enron or WorldCom folks who still somehow own an apartment there, like Lay or Skilling had that at the time? I The other one who popped into my head was Epstein. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd describe him mostly as a scammer, but he, he kind of was in the sense that, you know, he would take your money and put it in an index fund to blackmail you. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else, who else has a famous scam at that time. It could be one of those guys, like the guy who pretended to be a Saudi prince and fooled people into thinking he was. I, I wouldn't come up with his real name there or the, the guy who pretended to be a Kennedy I guess those are not going to function as answers. I'll say, I'll say Epstein. All right. Yeah. It's interesting to think about where his, his money went, but yeah, not the correct answer here. David? I know. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of any high profile scammers. Donald Trump had uh, New York property, but somehow this doesn't feel like uh, something where he'd be the answer. I was also th- thinking along the same lines as Aaron was, like one of the Enron people. So I'm going to go with that and say Ken Lay. All right, yeah. It would be very satisfying if Anna Delvey did scam Donald Trump, though. <laughs> but but um, yeah, it sounds like none of you saw the Inventing Anna miniseries, which, which does touch on this, although it doesn't really develop it out as a subplot or anything. But yeah, she uh, took, advantage, took advantage of the residence of Billy McFarland, the not quite mastermind behind the fire festival. Ah, oh, yes. 
Okay. I also thought of Nexium, but it seems a bit lighthearted to describe that as a scam. So maybe. Right. <laughs> they yeah. were always in Albany. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They right in yeah. I mean, I'm sure they went to New York City, yeah. but their compound stuff were, were not. All right. So at the end of that round, it looks like 0.1 for Aaron, 0.0 for David, 0.1 for Greg. And now we head into the main game, starting with the not all that hard round. So in this round and all successive rounds, each of you will get three specialist questions related to your categories. The general caveat, it's not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of these categories. It may relate directly or obliquely. And to keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories. There is a surprise coming up, though, for some of you, because the categories will eventually become evident and something will happen then that hasn't really happened on any episode before. But... That should be interesting. (laughs) All right. So before you can answer, your opponents will get to work together to try and steal the points from you. You'll only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss. If I toss the question to you without saying if they missed, if you're 100% certain that the Steelers got it right, you can just confirm. Otherwise, you should just proceed as if they got it wrong because you won't get any points if they got it right. There will sometimes be bonuses attached, occasional extra questions for people who are stolen from. They're not attached to every question. They're kind of quasi-randomly sprinkled throughout the game, and they will relate to the question that was asked. They won't necessarily be in the same subject. So they won't necessarily be in your specialist category, and they won't necessarily be at the same level of difficulty as the question. So these questions are not all that hard, so they'll be worth two points as a seal, one as a specialist, one as a bonus that will go up in successive rounds. And now and for the rest of the game, the points will go to both stealers, even if only one knows the answer. So it's one of many ways in which luck plays a role in the outcome. Again, it's just a game, not a not a test of your uh, overall quizzing ability or anything. Well, some people can take trivia contests very seriously, myself included, so it's good <laughs> a reminder. <laughs> right. All right, so we'll begin now with David and Greg trying to steal from Aaron. Okay. All right. So, considered one of the great beauties of her era, Rosamond Clifford was a mistress of England's King Henry II, whom he hid away on an estate in Woodstock, Oxfordshire, where the story goes that Eleanor of Aquitaine found her in the midst of a labyrinthine hedge maze and forced her to drink poison. Although that dramatic legend, which inspired paintings by several different 19th century artists, is ahistorical, tourists can to this day visit a site known as Rosamond's Bower or Rosamond's Well on the grounds of which palace that was constructed in the 18th century on the site of that earlier estate? In Oxford. Oxfordshire. So this would be built by one of the King Georges. England at the time was ruled by the Hanover Dynasty. I have been to England, but we didn't go to Woodstock. Likewise. I'm, yeah, I'm, perhaps um, that some of the paintings can help, but I, I have never heard of Rosamond Clifford. English nope. castles is not 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 a strong subject for me, I'm afraid. I mean, it, it, it could it could be Windsor Palace, I suppose. I know that's as English castles go. I, I think that one's relatively recent. Yeah, um, although I, I feel like that's nearer to London. I, yeah, that, it is. It's right which, next to London. Yeah, I don't know where Oxford. Yeah, people often take short. It's a fairly short trip from London. Yeah, they, they, my, my wife and I actually a few years ago did visit England, and and she wanted to go to you know relating to an earlier question. She wanted to go visit some of the locations in the book The Dark Is Rising, and that happened to be quite near Windsor Castle. So I'm pretty sure that. That was not that was not in Oxfordshire or or in Woodstock. So unfortunately, I, I have to veto that particular answer. Although I do not actually have anything better to offer. 
Well, that's good. I mean, I, I would, I, I, I guess I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think because when I, you know, I just looked up guidebooks to England when we went there, which was eight years ago. And I, I can't remember much. So the, the only thing I would do would, would be to just randomly take a stab at, at the, the Hanover castle that perhaps they just, they just named it after the dynasty. Do you have any Bridewell? It's the other one that I thought of, but that was the home of Henry VIII. So that should be older than the 18th century. Yeah. I mean, Henry VIII was, was, uh, you know, 16th century. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so I, yeah. I, I guess I don't see any reason to, 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 to belabor this one. I don't think it's going to come to me. So I, I would just guess Hanover. Do you have any, any better guess, David? I do not. Uh, that, we will that, say the, the Hanover Palace. Okay. I'll return to that statement in a bit, but I'll pass it to Aaron for now. Yeah, I i don't have much here. I don't think it's Windsor Castle. I don't think it's Bridewell. I don't think it's any of the, the main ones. There's probably some other way to get at this off of the Rosamond's Well or the paintings. I'm not going to come up with a, a save Bridewell. All right. So interesting. Yeah, you, you kind of leapt, Greg, to the Hanover dynasty, right? But they came into power, what, like 1714, 1715? Yeah. Or so, right. yeah, so, early so, 1500s, yeah. Right. So, so they weren't there the whole 18th century, right? Who was in power? Stuart. Stuart's, it's right. Stuart's, right, yeah. Yes. So if you remember the movie, a recent popular movie set during the Stuart dynasty called The Favorite, mm-hmm. that, right? There's a scene toward the end where John Churchill, the Duke of Marlborough, is in his palace and he realizes that his wife has fallen out of the king's favor. And so they end up leaving for Europe. And so they have to leave behind their estate in Oxfordshire, Blenheim Palace. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, okay. It was named after one of his, his victories in the War of the Spanish Succession. Yes, the, yeah, battle. the battle of Blenheim, the, big, the major turning point of that war. That makes sense. Right. Okay, so yeah, Blenheim Palace is the correct answer there. I could go a little bit more into the history of the Churchill Spencer family, but maybe I'll save that for another episode. All right. So now Aaron and Greg to try and steal from David. So speaking, and these questions normally aren't connected, but I saw a nice way to make the first three questions all connect. So I decided to go for it. So speaking of Blenheim Palace, it was saved from ruin in the late 19th century when the ninth Duke of Marlborough entered into a loveless marriage to what heiress so he could pump her money into salvaging the family estate. This woman's brother was a noted bridge aficionado, whose innovations are credited with helping contract bridge supplant auction bridge in popularity. I see. I see. I see the. Um, well, I won't spoil anything. The, the 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 person generally credited as the inventor of contract bridge is a member of the Vanderbilt family. I, I think his name is Howard Vanderbilt, and he was he he. That was more like the early 20th century, but but obviously he would have been alive in the late 19th century as well. That that would be my guess. Yeah, I sure. Yeah, let's let's go for it. Which which Vanderbilt is it? Well, you just need, you we just just need a last. You just need a last. Yeah, one I think here. we can just start with Vanderbilt oh. and, and hope we don't get. Uh, 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 all right, love Vanderbilt. It. All right, yeah. So the the name of the heiress was Consuelo Vanderbilt, who married the Duke of Marlborough, and her brother was. Harold Sterling. Harold. Yes, I said Howard, but it's Harold. That's right. Yes. All right. So that's a successful steal by Aaron and Greg. And now David and Aaron to try and steal from Greg. So speaking of Harold Sterling Vanderbilt, 
He himself was a two-time winner of the Vanderbilt Trophy, endowed by himself and given to the winner of the Vanderbilt Knockout Teams Championship held by the American Contract Bridge League. He also had a passion for a different pastime, which led to him defending what other trophy three times? The first defense came against Sir Thomas Lipton, the Scottish tea merchant, listeners may remember from episode 11. Really haven't read a lot about Harold Vanderbilt's life other than having devised a new scoring table for a card game. What what sorts of things do do super rich people do? Uh, tennis, polo. I don't know, uh, does does tennis, tennis have polo. have a notable trophy? Croquet. Uh, well, I mean, tennis has Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Oh, 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 oh. Hang on, uh, hang on. Vanderbilt introduced his scoring table aboard a yacht. Could this be the America's Cup? Yeah, it could certainly be the America's Cup. A Scottish tea merchant would be yeah. skilled at, at sailing a ship. Yeah, I like. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 a, a memory is bubbling up of episode eleven, in which I, I believe that question about Sir Thomas Lipton mentioned the America's Cup. So I'm I'm, I'm starting Love to feel it. good about Let's this. Let's do it. We're, we're locking in the America's Cup. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of a trophy that has to be defended because it keeps getting passed to different you know, people, challengers, and they're generally from other, like Americans versus other countries. Yeah, it's the America's Cup. Although the America it's named after is actually a ship, not the country. But yeah, you, you got the correct answer. Yes, that is also a pass in my head. And for the same reason as, as David, yes, they, they were on a, on a yachting trip when, when he invented the, the scoring table. Cool. All right, to David and Greg now to try and steal from Aaron. Ursula Konzett, K-O-N-Z-E-T-T, is the only Olympic medalist from what country to not be a member of either the Wenzel, Weirather, or Fromelt families? Okay, well, those family names are all sounding very, rather Eastern European to me, uh, or or sort of Middle Europe, Germany kind of thing. Gotta be a country with multiple uh, medals, obviously, that doesn't narrow it down much. True. I don't know Konzet. I'm not. I'm not very good at Olympics, but I, I don't know those families. It could be winter or summer. It doesn't specify, so that doesn't help. But it can't. It can't. It, the point is, it, it can't be a major European country because they have won too many medals. So it, it can't be like France mm-hmm. or whatever because there obviously there are many Olympic medalists not from those families. I'm fairly sure. So I would. I would think a, I mean, a fairly that, Luxembourg that or. Um, yeah, that, that would probably rule out something like Germany or Austria because they've had a lot of Winter Olympians. And many of the Eastern European it, countries have been good at, at various gymnastics and things like that. So it might, yeah. Although it doesn't it have be, to be Europe, be a, obviously. It, yeah, It could be but, a newer country, such as one of the former Yugoslav republics. Yeah, it could be. It could be. So, I mean, yeah, it could be something small that hasn't got a lot of medalists like Luxembourg, or it could be something new. Those don't sound Yugoslavian to me. No, they don't, they don't look Yugoslavian to me. So my, my, my guess would be Luxembourg, but it's just, it's just a pretty much a wild stab. I, I don't feel like I have anything much better. So uh, let's go with that. We'll say okay. Luxembourg. All right. You locked in Luxembourg. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah. I I was and Luxembourg is a good guess. I was thinking Liechtenstein because they have so few families and and so few medalists and those those names are very German, which would I think put us over closer to to Germany and Austria. I I would have gone with Liechtenstein as my guess. 
since it is passed over to you, you want to lock in Liechtenstein? I do. Okay, yeah, because I agree those are very German-sounding names. And actually, Luxembourg is, I think, nestled in between like Belgium, Netherlands, and France, right? It's, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't actually border <laughs> Germany. No, it doesn't. But I didn't think Liechtenstein would have enough medalists to for this question to make sense. Well, right. they don't it's, need it only need a couple. It's a very <laughs> small country, but it is a very kind of snowy and mountainous country. So they have a lot of opportunity to develop skiing skills. Ah. Yeah, it is, in fact, I think the only country to medal only in the Winter Olympics and not the Summer Olympics. But it actually has 10 medals in the Winter Olympics, seven of them credited oh. to the Wenzel Weirather family, two to the Fromelt brothers. And, and you know what? It just it just it just popped into my head that there's a very famous skier from Luxembourg that is not from any of these three. I forget his name, but he's not from any of these three families. So it can't be that. Yeah. All right. So Aaron is correct on that with Liechtenstein. Very good. And now Aaron and Greg to try and steal from David. The Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, short form, is often dominated by specific shows. For example, the Doctor Who revival won six times in its first six seasons, and the last four awards in that category have all gone to episodes of The Good Place. However, back in 2004, the award was given not to a TV episode at all, but rather to an MTV Movie Awards acceptance speech by whom? Okay, MTV Movie Awards acceptance speech in 2004, so we'd be looking at a movie probably from 2003. Well, no, no, no. The, the award was in 2004. The Eagle Awards are rather late in the year. So I, Lord of the Rings was what came to mind for me. Peter Jackson, I'll just, that was the first thing that popped into my head. I, I have absolutely no idea what the answer is. I don't know how the Hugo Awards are for science fiction. So it, it should be somebody associated with science fiction, but I don't, I don't see how that could make sense. So that, this is, this this is a weird one for sure. A, a very good question. I, were there any any super memorable acceptance speeches in general? Like I, I'm just trying to think of the MTV Movie Awards have a lot of. That's the other thing is I I'm not an expert on the MTV Movie Awards by any means, but I know a little bit about them, and and um, I don't know of any events from the awards that would make sense as the answer to this specifically. I mean, Peter Jackson is fine. I just don't remember any kind of like no. Kanye I'm West to... grabbing the mic style moments. <laughs> that was the VMAs. Peter, the Jackson, Peter yeah. Jackson at the, that point. I, I don't have anything better though. No, I can't think of anything else. So I think we'll lock in Peter Jackson. Okay, good logic. I see where you're coming from with that, but not correct. I'll pass to David. Well, in fact, you are thinking along exactly the right lines with the Lord of the Rings movies, but uh, you didn't take it quite far enough. Yeah, the speech in question was a rant about the snubbing of the, the first couple of Lord of the Rings movies at the Academy Awards, but it wasn't given by Peter Jackson. It was given by Gollum. Indeed, yeah. I think the category was best virtual performance. But, you know, again, why is it a dramatic presentation? Because it was scripted in advance. It had to be scripted oh, in yes. advance. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it was performed. Actually, the way they did it, originally it started with Andy Serkis giving a more conventional thank you. And then Gollum interrupted him to give his uh, much bleeped, <laughs> much bleeped little monologue. But yes, Gollum is correct. I've never That's interesting. I'll watch that after this is over. I've never heard of that before. And while it's true that the Hugo Awards are science fiction and, and started with a very science fictional bias, they, they have always been, you know, they've always covered fantasy as well. And uh, yeah. in, in recent years, they, they've, you know, included fantasy more. 
Yes. And as I mentioned in episode six, Hugo Gernsbeck, the namesake of the awards, he is from Luxembourg. Which, which <laughs> I had not actually known until I heard, until I heard that from you. Yep. All right. David and Eric now to try and steal from Greg. The 1814 in the title of Janet Jackson's 1989 concept album, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814, is meant to commemorate which historical event? 1840. Oh, something, something to do with, with slavery, maybe a slave revolt. When, 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 when was the successful Haiti slave revolt? Was that in 1814? No, earlier. Hmm. So, 18, I mean, Waterloo is close. 1815, I think. Battle of New Orleans, like War of 1812 is going on. What else was 1814? I'm trying to think of... Battle of Lake Erie, Battle of Bladenburg races, Battle of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, are, are these things that Janet Jackson would be interested in? I, I kind of feel like she, she would probably might focus more on African-American history, but uh, in terms of significant events in African-American history in 1814, I, I, I'm not really, not really coming up with much, I'm afraid. Um, I don't think it's... I'm trying to think of what else was going on around that time. I think it's and it's John, way too early for Nat, what, Nat, Nat Turner. Nat Turner is 32, uh, somewhere around there. It's not 1814. Okay, it I sounds mean, like you know a lot more about this than I do. Denmark Vesey yeah. was earlier, but I don't know if that was 1814 or not. It's around there. I mean, is there anything else that we're missing? There is. I'm still missing it. Uh, I don't know. Let's think. A historical event, 1814. In Rhythm Nation, I know there would be anything related to music. I mean, obviously she's a musician, so it could just be that. Well, I think we'd have to be more specific than just something related to music. Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to see if I can jog anything in your memory that, you know. This is a good question. Hmm. Is it, could it be something that's not the year? Like 1814 was. I find it hard to imagine that it could be commemorating a historical event and not be a year. But I mean, I guess it's at least conceivable. But if not, I can't think what it would be. I don't know. I didn't you know imagine. anything about the album itself? Like, what, what, what was the concept of the concept album? I, I know nothing at all, I'm afraid. Is it... 1840. Is it wonder, something like... I, didn't, 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 the British, didn't the British Empire abolish slavery around then? When was that? It's I, certainly possible that... The U.S. banned, I was going down the route of like banning the importation of enslaved people, which I think was 1808 in the U.S. It is certainly possible, like the Britain, the British ban was around there. Well, let's see, now I'm... I'm... Remembering from Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, someone saying that the heir of Britain is the, the heir of freedom, and that was set a bit earlier than 1814. That was set during the, the you know, the, the Napoleonic Wars. So, so, so I'm, now I'm kind of thinking that, that, that probably the British abolition was, was earlier than that. Could it be the, like the 
death of Thomas Jefferson. We're, we're in the right ballpark for that, maybe. I don't know exactly when that was. I mean, I seem to remember 23rd. reading it was on, on the 4th of July, but, but not the year. I know, I want to say it was a little later, maybe. But uh, I know you, you mentioned Denmark Vesey. Uh, can, can, we, can we identify something related to him? Seems at least. Um, it was Vesey was earlier than Turner, and Turner, I believe, was 32, maybe 31. But I, I, I don't think it was as early as 14. But again, I, I'm not, I would put it 1920, maybe in a, around that area. I know we're taking a while on this one. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like it's about time for us to, to try and hone in on something. I, I would go with like the death of the death of Thomas Jefferson. I, 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 it does feel a little early for that, but didn't he, he and Adams died on the same day? Yeah, was that? It feels like a, a, a slightly odd thing for Janet Jackson to be putting in the title of her album. You know, I, I feel like it would want to be something little, more up. It does feel a little upbeat. early. I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, it's it's probably more significant than. You're 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 you're, you're sure it's not the Haiti slave revolt? I feel like that was much earlier because it was pre Louisiana Purchase for sure. Because that's what kind of scared Napoleon into doing it. Okay. What is say Haiti was a rope? public by 1803 1804 okay uh, well so do we have anything let's go with I denmark Vesey. I, I don't think we're going to come up with the exact okay. answer okay i mean is, is there an event connected with him that we can that we can mention because yeah slave revolt say... slave revolt His okay revolt against He's... slavery all right let's go with that okay yeah a decent guess yeah, I think your dates are correct on the Haiti thing, at least with the, the revolution being like pre-1803 before the Louisiana okay. Purchase. Dates are a little off on uh, Adam and Jefferson. They actually died exactly 50 years to the day after that signing of the, the declaration. So 1826. Uh, 26. Yeah, it felt too early. It's, yeah. I'm glad we didn't go with it. Vessi, I think, is wrong, too, because I think it's more like 1820-ish. Yeah, that's, I'll, I'll have to look up the exact date, but yeah, that's, that's not correct. So I'll pass it over to Greg. Um, I am surprised that I don't know this. I, I, not to be, I may sound arrogant, but I've heard this album many, many, many times. I've heard this album dozens of times. I don't know why I've never thought to look up why it's called that. The album is not political in any way. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like a Janet Jackson in her career did, did not do a lot of socially conscious music or, it's certainly not what she was known for, but but I, I couldn't. There wasn't much going on in the U.S. at that time period other than the War of eighteen twelve. I I don't think it doesn't have to be a U.S. event, but although I I think it occurred in eighteen fifteen. The only guess I had was the the burning of the White House. I don't I don't know the answer. I, I don't know. I'm not sure why I don't know. I also thought of the the end of the transatlantic slave trade, but I don't I don't think there's any way that would have ended during the War of eighteen twelve. So. I'll say the burning of the White House. Okay, so so Denmark V.C. slavery. It didn't. His his unlike Nat Turner's his slave revolt didn't actually take place because he was betrayed and executed yeah. before. And yeah, uh, it was allegedly supposed to be in 1822. 
But yeah, I mean, you something that you you guys said you you asked if it was musical related. That was a good a good thought, something to think about to kind of hone in on the words nation and 1814. Nation again, talking about the nation, kind of symbols of the nation as a whole, and specifically music related. What's the music related symbol oh, of the nation? Star Spangled Banner. Oh, and when was that written? Was it? It was during World War, the War oh, of eighteen twelve. So I guess that does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eighteen fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Written, yeah. The night of the bombing of Fort McHenry. Yeah. In- yeah, that makes sense. I that knew it didn't make guess. sense for it to be a political. Yeah, I should have thought yeah. of that. Yeah. The music itself was much or was dates from much earlier, but the the lyrics, the poem that was set to music, was definitely written yeah. in eighteen fourteen. All right, Greg and David, now to try and steal from Aaron, although. One biographer disputes this. The 1946 disappearance of Bennington College undergraduate student Paula Jean Weldon while walking on Vermont's Long Trail is usually described as the inspiration for the 1951 gothic novel Hangs a Man. A 2020 film dramatizes the writing of Hangs a Man by implying that its author was influenced not only by Weldon, but also by a fictitious lodger played by Odessa Young. That film, starring Elizabeth Moss and based on a novel by Susan Scarf Merrill, has a title consisting of a one-word female first name. What is that title? I don't have a lot here. Whoa. I've never heard of Hangsaman. This is for uh, David and Greg to collaborate on. Sorry. This is somebody that... I haven't heard of Hangsaman either, or or the film for that matter. Well, I suppose that... I mean, I, I, I assume... The film's name is the name of the author, and the author must be a female if she was played by Elizabeth Moss. Well, it says the the, the novel is written by Susan Scarf Merrill. So no, no, no. The novel, uh, the novel Hang a Man. The mo- the novel, uh, the novel yes. was the inspiration for the movie, but but Hangs a Man was would have been written by somebody different. Would be my interpretation of the question. Oh, okay, right. Susan Scarf Merrill wrote a novel about the writing of Hangs a Man, and, uh, and, and then the film was based on that novel. Got it. I'll, I'll tell you what my first thought there. is. Based on, based on a, my first thought is this. A female author who wrote novels of that type or books of that type around that era is Shirley Jackson. Um, I, feel, I feel like I know Jackson's I'm reasonably familiar and- with Shirley Jackson's work, and I've never heard of this, but there's, yeah, I, there, I, there, I, there's no author that I know all of the works of, and, and it's possible that, that there is one that I've never heard of. That, that's the only uh, yeah. thing I thought of, but I, I, don't, I don't know at all. I, I, I feel like if, if it were Shirley Jackson that I would have heard of it. So I don't uh, know a Vermont um, a, a, an author that is particular. I know authors that are associated with with could Maine. Possi- could it could it be could it be Daphne du Maurier? She wrote gothic kind of stuff. She, was mean, British, right? The, yeah. The, um, the, well, well, I guess I, this doesn't necessarily mean that that she wasn't British. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you it, it the female first name could be Daphne. It could be. Um. The wrong, wrong genre and wrong time period for Georgette Heyer. Uh, uh, I know I'm, I'm not. Yeah, that sounds fine to me. Our, uh, we'll, I, I, let, me, let me think for a little bit longer. Maybe I'll get it. Okay. There's Sarah Orange Wet, but she, she is associated with Maine, not Vermont. So I don't, I don't think it, it would be her. I think she may have been a bit earlier than that as well. Yeah, if this was national or even international news, then, then it, it obviously could... Uh, could have been somebody from from anywhere. It doesn't have to be a Vermont author. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, have, I have no idea how how big a splash that might have made. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 lock in a guess of of Daphne. That's our guess. Okay. Yeah, there was a, a movie made in the past few years starring Emily Beecham called Daphne, which has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> although uh, I I was not that impressed by it when I watched it, but and it has nothing to do with Daphne Du Maurier. Um, you, you you didn't think it was better than Paddington Two? <laughs> Definitely not better than Paddington Two. Not even as good as Leave No Trace. All right, pass to Aaron. I, yeah, I, I am not familiar with the story either, nor the movie. I, I'm torn between guessing some kind of general New England name like Emily or going with uh, Flannery O'Connor feels right time-wise and in terms of weird content. Now, she has no connection to Vermont, but you can be inspired by anything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if this story was in the media. So I, my, my guess is Flannery. Okay. Yeah. I talk about sometimes different patterns people go through. I talk about like the horseshoe where they start at one answer, wander really far away from it, and then eventually come back to it. Then there's the incomplete horseshoe where they start off with their answer, then wander away from it and never come back to it, which is unfortunately what Greg and David did. The very first thing Greg said surely is correct. Oh, but oh, what wow. was it in fact, Shirley Jackson? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. That's okay. My bad. Right idea. Yeah, you had definitely the right thought, Greg, but you uh, wandered away from it. All right. This question now, Aaron and Greg to try and steal from David. When Frank Gorshin was in was in a contract dispute with the producers of the '60s Batman television series, his character was briefly replaced by what completely different villain, portrayed by Maurice Evans or Morris Evans? This name was later reused in comics as the alter ego of Superman fan turned foe Valerie Van Houten, and then reused again in the New Fifty Two for a member of Argus. All right, Frank Gorshin played the Riddler, I believe. Not that that helps all that much. Superman, the interesting thing is, it, it, it must be a gender, I guess, just, just to state something obvious, it must be a gender neutral name because I assume Maurice Evans is a man and Valerie Van Hoften is a woman. I'm not going to be a ton of help here. I, ha- I have a reasonable familiarity with Superman's rogues gallery, but I actually can't think of any female villains of Superman. Nobody comes to mind. It says completely different. I, <laughs> my first thought would was would would have been that 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 perhaps it's just a you know a. a reworking of a similar type of character like the puzzler or something like that but i don't, <laughs> I, I i don't <laughs> let me if it well it's it's a argus let me see if it, if i know what argus is i'm not that good at dc comics i always read marvel as a kid i i i can't think of anything to do but but to just uh come up with a with a synonym for the riddler and 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 just assume that 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 was their uh their strategy so i guess we'll We'll, we'll, do you have any anything the puzzler any different the mystery the question that's a different it's a different character we'll, I, we'll say the, we'll lock in the puzzler we'll lock in the puzzler 
Okay, yeah. When I said completely different, that meant it's, it wasn't like, you know, with Mr. Freeze, they cast three different actors. With Catwoman, they had a couple different yeah, ones. Yeah, right. so it's, I meant basically instead of just recasting the role, although they did at yeah. one point recast the Riddler, but I meant they just came up with a, a separate character. Not that yeah. it was like an opposite type of character, just that it yeah, was separate. Yeah. He always doesn't confuse Batman. Yeah. <laughs> right, but um, yeah. With a definite case of Captain Ersatz. <laughs> right. So so I assume you, you know it, David, right? Well, actually, well, I, I do not know the okay. Superman fan reference or the Argus reference. And as, as far as I know, the, the, the replacement on the Batman TV series was just the puzzler. Yes, so, it was. It was the puzzler. Yes. Oh, that was just a that was just a completely random guess. I'm sorry about that, David. That was yeah. what a what a all part of the game. Maybe that I guess I guess that must have been that must have been something I heard and and lodged in the back of my brain somewhere. Nice work. Yeah, I was really afraid it was going to be two. It was going to be two in a row where you said the correct answer and then moved away from it. <laughs> well, I wish they had. But, uh... but in this case, you moved back. All right, David and Eric now to try and steal from Greg. This is the last question of the not all that hard round. So after this, the questions will go up in difficulty and in point value. Here's the question. Rusticello da Pisa's Roman de Roi Artus, though written in French, is the earliest known treatment of the Arthurian legend by an Italian author. However, Rusticello is remembered today not for that work, but rather for briefly sharing a jail cell, circa 1298, with what man? Oh, I know this one. So do I. Yeah. You, you want to say it or shall I? And you're th- thinking Marco Polo? I am. Yeah. And, and I, in, right. in particular, I remember a Neil Gaiman Sandman story, which featured Marco Polo and, and, and men- mentioned Rusticello's name. And yeah, I, I, I feel, feel good about this one. I do too. All right. Well, you- we're locking in Marco Polo. If you wanted to say it together, one of you could have said Marco and the other could have said Polo. We're not clever enough for that, I'm afraid. And knowing my specialist subject, I'm, I'm quite confident that's correct. And they, they got it without even having that, 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 bonus, uh, that bonus hint. Right, right. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see how that's that... That's very, uh, good, knowledge. very yeah. good knowledge. Yeah, we'll see how that works out later in the game. But for now, we end this round. I believe Aaron leads with 9.1 followed by David at 5.0 and Greg at 4.1. And of course, when the point value is going up, those, those differences can very quickly be flattened out. So not all that meaningful right now, even just in terms of like the, the overall finish, which is itself not all that meaningful, as I said before. But all right, we move into the only somewhat hard round. The point value is going up, four for a steal, three for a specialist, two for a bonus. We begin with David and Greg to try and steal from Aaron. So here's a question. As a reward for serving as his technical advisor, microbiologist Paul de Cruyff was granted 25% of the royalties earned by what Pulitzer Prize winning novel? Oh, was there a, was there a it is for us. Yes, that's for us to steal. Yeah. The, I'm, 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 <laughs> this seems so far off of any of the questions we were asked in the first round that, that it you know, the specialist novel? subjects must be relevant in some way. What were the questions we had in the first round? They were Shirley Jackson, Lichtenstein, and um, can we scroll up? Is that is that allowed? Yes, yeah, so you can scroll up. And uh, Blenheim Palace, right? So nothing, nothing is springing to my mind here. I, well, it's got to be a Pulitzer Prize. I guess, I guess we can just go to it's got to be a Pulitzer Prize winning novel that is about microbiology and the very first thing that came to mind was interpreter of maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri that did win the Nobel Prize now I actually think that's normally classified as a collection of short stories but I think it yeah. it's a novel as well you know it, it's it's kind of you could you could call it either way 
would, would I don't it see how that would, could... would require would, would, would it get enough into the details of the illnesses to require technical advice? I've never read it. I don't know, but it, it, I, I, you know, I used to know all the Pulitzer Prize winning novels when I was in high school quiz bowl in the nineties. That was an era when they used to ask questions like that. What won the Pulitzer Prize in a given year? And nothing else comes to mind as a Pulitzer Prize winning novel that would require a microbiologist. So my, my answer would be Definitely the interpreter of Mali. I can't think of I mean, anything else. Ha- have there been any about uh, about pandemics or plague? That was what I was trying to think of, but and 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 if if twenty five percent of royalties is a significant reward, then it, would, it would have to be a recent. Sold well, it, it would have to be a recent book if it was, or or else just just my memory is has I haven't I haven't looked at the list of Pulitzer Prize winners in over 20 years so I, I'm I'm that, that that's definitely that's more recently than I have I'm definitely not all that solid on them but nothing comes to mind to me other than the interpreter of maladies that that, that that's the only thing I could I could guess all right I I guess I guess we can go with that we'll say the interpreter of maladies Okay. I kind of wanted to see you keep free associating on Shirley Jackson, Lichtenstein, and Blenheim Palace just to see what would pop up. <laughs> yeah, that didn't prove fruitful. So I moved off of that quite quickly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think Paul Sinna was the first one to point out to me that the emperor, or sorry, the interpreter of maladies and the emperor of all maladies, one fiction, one nonfiction, both Pulitzer winning books written by ethnic Bengalis in the US. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's a really interesting coincidence. It's nothing to do with the answer to the question, but it's really interesting. Aaron? I, honestly, the first thing that jumped into my head was the plague, which I do not know if it won the Pulitzer Prize, but I don't have anything better, so I'll go with that. Okay, yeah. I think the Pulitzer is for like Americans. American yeah, well, yeah Americans. the plague is Camus, yeah. who is French, of course. Yeah, I don't have much better, but yes. Yeah, so you have to go back a few decades even before then a very famous American author, even a Nobel Prize winner, in addition to a Pulitzer winner, who wrote a novel that was about scientific ethics and very heavily focused on, kind of got into the nitty gritty of microbiology. It was called Aerosmith. Ah, yes, of course. Claire Lewis. Yeah, yeah of course. Yes, they didn't, uh, didn't study the plots of the books very well, just, just year and title and author. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to remember now after, God, it's almost a century, I guess, since that book won. Yeah. Uh, All right, Aaron and Greg to try and steal from David. So a deal between 20th Century Fox and Marvel Studios, back when those were separately owned entities, allowed the latter to use Ego the Living Planet in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in exchange for letting the former use What Mutant in Deadpool. This character was named for a song on Monster Magnet's 1995 album Dopes to Infinity, which in what I assume is a coincidence happens to contain a track called Ego the Living Planet. I, I I'm very. This is an aside, but but that 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 they even attempted to adapt the the most ridiculous character in comics books history, Eagle of the Living Planet, into a movie. Much like doing it fairly successfully, I, I think is one of the more impressive feats of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> okay, so Deadpool is it the Deadpool the original Deadpool had colossus in it but that, that he was an x-man so there, there would be no way that that fox always has had the rights to the x-men so so it would it would theoretically have to be a mutant that is not a part of the x-men and the only character that's coming to mind from deadpool that might 
have taken their name from a song on an unusual album is the girl character and, and her exact name is slipping my my mind, but I think my, my memory is it was teenage teenage negasonic warhead. I, I think if they had a song called Ego the Living Planet, they easily could have a song called that. I don't know Monster Magnet. I've never heard of them before. I'm just trying to think. I have seen Deadpool. I can't I can't think of any mutants that were in the movie except for Deadpool, her and Colossus. Deadpool 2 had quite a few other characters in it, but that that would be I I'm I'm trying to think through the movie and I, I can't think of anything else. I don't I don't see any reason to be laboring. Have you seen the movie, Aaron? No, go with whatever you want. All right, we'll say Teenage <laughs> Negasonic Warhead. All right. That's an interesting answer. I'll pass it to David. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Grant Morrison, I think, took the name, presumably from this album. I mean, it, it is actually Negasonic Teenage Warhead. So uh, I think it's oh, up to you, yes. Gash, as to whether you get the points or not. I'd be inclined to give it to myself. Yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone will be, you know, impressed by the knowledge you've shown, but I don't think I can give you. I don't a need point. a point. That's fine. I, I I take a I take a point of pride for nearly getting it correct. That's good enough for a movie that I saw once when it came out and and haven't really thought about since. So, which which in, in, inspired the line, "All the good names really have been taken." <laughs> Yeah, and if it ever comes up in a place for like like a game show or something where there's a lot of money on the line, now you'll remember, you know, the actual. Yes, NTW. Yes, the initials. <laughs> All right, David and Aaron now to try and steal from Greg. Michelle Butor's second thoughts: Tom Robbins' half asleep in frog pajamas, Jay McInerney's Bright Lights, Big City, and Andy Weir's The Egg are among the most famous works of fiction to use what literary device? Andy Weir's The Egg. I've read The Martian, but uh, actually I haven't heard of that one. Other than that, the only one I really sort of even heard of is Bright Lights, Big City, and I haven't read it. So I haven't read any of these either. I, I'm trying to figure out what, what exactly could be meant by literary device, like dream. Second person? Could they be told in second person, perhaps? Or uh, or is he going f- for more like... More like a, a time loop or, or, I don't know, nested stories. I don't know, Bright Lights, Big Larry, City doesn't seem like it would have stories. Larry novel or... Um, I feel like there are a lot of more dream famous sequen- epistolary novels. Dream like, sequence. Know. Yeah, but he's trying to, I mean, these, these are supposed to be the hard questions. So. No, no this, this, this is the, the sort of the, the only somewhat hard round. We haven't even gotten to the super hard round yet. Well, harder than the, the previous round. <laughs> well, yes. Maybe, maybe, let's see, maybe a, a manuscript that was, that was found, you know, like, like, like the framing story is, is the, the author finds a manuscript written by someone and publishes it. And that was a little more common in, the, in maybe the 19th century. Although again, uh, yeah, I mean, like the, in terms of the most famous works of fiction, I would, I would think that there would be some 19th century examples there that, that would be more prominent than things like half asleep in frog pajamas. I don't know. I'm just throwing out, like, we should keep throwing out literary devices, like deus ex machina. Um, and synecdoche. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, feel I don't like think liter- it, I feel like literary device has to be something a little more specific than that. What? The novel, novel told in verse. I'm, I'm, Maybe we, we, we get halfway through, then we get a time jump back to the start and we redo the story. But is that, I mean... But, but no, I mean, that, that Bright Lights Big City wouldn't do that, would it? I don't know. I, I've never read it. I, well, I mean, I feel like it was sort of aggressively mainstream. So, uh, I mean, and, and it wouldn't, wouldn't have a fantasy device like a time jump. We could just say, like, non, non-chronological narrative. 
that doesn't feel quite specific enough for, for literary <laughs> device. I don't, I, 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 I'm kind of wanting to say, I was kind of wanting to go with, with told in second person, you know, like the other narration says, you know, you do this, you do that. But, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have something you like better, uh, I, I'm, I'm not at all set on that. I'm totally okay with that. All right. Let's, let's lock that in second person narration. Right. Well, perhaps you'll guess or the contestants noticed me wincing when you suddenly and randomly came back around to that after mentioning it for several minutes earlier, because I'm I'm pretty sure that is the correct answer. That is a perfect horseshoe, really. It's the very first thing <laughs> yes. you said. You went way, way, way away from it and then came back right to it. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah and, 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 and Bright Lights Big City is a very weird book. It's it's definitely not aggressively mainstream, but but it does not have any time jumps in it. Well, well, I mean, in, in terms of, of, of literary genre, it was a yes, literary yes, novel. Yes. It was not science yes. fiction. Or it was a literary novel, yes, yeah. but it was a very strange literary novel. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure told in second person is is, is the correct answer. Yeah, yeah, those and the Choose Your Own Adventure books are maybe the other <laughs> famous ones. I, I've read, I have read Bright Lights, Big City. I, I have not read or even heard of any of the others. In the science fiction field, Charles Strauss did a couple called Halting State and Rule 34. Mm. I think part of yeah. one of N.K. Jemison's books is in... There's Soul, yeah. Soul Mountain. Uh, yeah, 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 that's the right. Uh, the, 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 the fifth season is, 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 has long sections in, in second person. The Chinese, the, the, the Chinese slash French Nobel Prize winner... Yeah, why didn't I think of that? Oh, I think Soul Mountain hmm. is in second right. person as well. Yeah. Or it's, it's, cer- it's certainly yeah. a device that can work. Yeah. All right. So now you move on to the next question and attempt to <laughs> steal from Aaron. <laughs> the enigmatic Wang Mang ruled all of China as sole emperor of the Xin dynasty, which he established in 9 AD after poisoning the child emperor Ping, and which was ended when rebels overran Weiyang Palace in 23 AD and killed him. As a result, the Xin dynasty is considered a mere interruption in the reign of what more famous imperial dynasty? Chinese history is not, not a strong... I wonder, is, is the common thread... I, I, think, I, think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but reasonably confident that the Han dynasty is the one that was in power in China at at the the switch between BC and, and AD. I believe I, that is correct. I don't I don't know that for sure, but I, I, I can't the Tang dynasty is definitely later than that. The Zhou dynasty for sure is earlier. That's the dynasty when where, Confucius where, 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 was writing. Where, where where does the where does the Qin dynasty fit in? The Qin, Q-I-N, that is, I think that's the early, I think it's the first dynasty, if I'm not okay. mistaken. I mean, so, you, you, you are already demonstrating far more knowledge. Of this I, than I, I think, got. I think it's the Han dynasty that, that I don't, I don't, that, that would be my, my answer. I'm happy to go with that. All right. We'll lock in the Han dynasty. All right. Yeah. I think your, your memory is right. I think, well, at least historically Qin isn't the first, but it's the first that was like a unified China. Hence, yes. why the, the country is called China, and yeah, it was followed by the so the Xin Dynasty. I think is the breaking point between like the Eastern and Western Han, or the Western and Eastern Han. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it is essentially considered an interruption in the reign of the Han Dynasty. That's correct. I held back a little bit of information though to have a bonus for Aaron. So, do you know what capital city Wang Mang ruled from? It's either, also also the place where he was killed. It's either Xi'an or Kaifeng. Uh... I think he's ruling from Kaifeng at that point. Is that your answer? Is that what you're locking in? That's my answer, yes. Okay, so the, the, the answer I had was Chang'an, but that is equivalent to Xi'an. 
So, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, that's the one. That's one that's easy to remember because it's the Shin. It's almost the same capital and dynasty name, Shin. And and I remember seeing that in a list of dynasty Chinese capitals at one point, Shin and Xi'an. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think at least kind of historically it's been known as Chang'an, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah. Well, it's just it's pure coincidence, but it's, yeah. you know. It's the same city, though. So if you had said Xi'an, I would have accepted that, but. All right, Aaron and Greg now to try and steal from David. What term, which has multiple meanings in multiple domains, can be used as a verb in chess to describe forcing an opponent to spend their move defending against a threat rather than taking initiative? In bridge, a break in this can indicate that a player has run into an unexpected problem. Well, it's interesting, David, and I have a little bit of bad luck in our choice of topics. This is, um, this is definitely tempo, for sure. In bridge, it's a break in tempo. Is 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 a when you bid too fast or too slow to try and usually what happens is if you think for a really long time about your bid and then make it, then that passes information to your partner potentially that that you had a borderline bid. You you might have bid one thing or another, and 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 your partner is not allowed to take those breaks in tempo into account. That is also what the word means in chess. So it's it's definitely tempo. Yeah, we'll lock in tempo. Yeah, it's a word with lots of meaning. I mean, I think music probably originally is where it came from. But yeah, in chess, it can literally just mean a half turn, like each player's turn. But that in turn gave rise to things like, you know, gain a tempo, lose a tempo, give a tempo. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you basically, if you force your opponent to defend rather than take initiative, you've essentially taken a tempo away from them. And that kind of gotten shortened to a verb, tempo as a verb, kind of a slangy thing, but still. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know too much about its use in bridge, but I'll defer to you on that. (laughs) Yeah. And in in bridge discussions, you often even see the initialism be it to stand for break in tempo it can be very controversial and <laughs> it very frequently are challenges to judges and rulings on whether the opponent improperly took a break in tempo into account and and it you know it, they can be there have been some very very controversial instances of it in in very high profile matches so it, it's a it's an interesting uh, topic i didn't know any of that and it's, it's it is very interesting you're right Okay, trying to keep up with all those all the scoring now, all the points getting scored. All right, so we'll go to David and Aaron to try and steal from Greg. Again, you'll notice some familiar some uh, there'll be a bit of an echo here. <laughs> Listeners to episode twenty eight, when Eugene had contract bridge as his specialist topic, will recall that ACOL is the bidding system used primarily in the UK and Commonwealth countries. What adjective, apparently unrelated to a cinematic canine created by Joe Camp, is used to describe the Ecole variant in which two clubs and two diamonds are strong bids and two hearts and two spades are weak twos? I copied a lot of that terminology without I copied a lot of that terminology without knowing quite what it meant. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the, the 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 variant of Acol, I'm pretty sure, is Benjamin or Benjaminized. I am not familiar with the cinematic canine. But uh, I let's see. Is this me and Aaron? Yeah. Yes, I, I yeah. am of little value on on bridge questions. Okay. Well, well, I was. I was do you know about any movie dogs? Uh, not that one specifically. Uh, yeah. Oh, and and, and, and B- Benjamin is sometimes abbreviated to Benji, and that's that's a cinematic dog. I, I rem- which I remember from my childhood. So so I, I like want that. I want I want to go with Benji Ackall. That's your lock in. You good with that, Aaron? Yes. All right, we're locking that in. 
Yeah, I would have accepted any any Benjaminized Benjamin Benji. I mean, yeah. the, the hint, the canine hint was obviously pointing toward Benji, but I mean, yeah. One of multiple references to Scottish people that found their way to this episode. <laughs> All right. David and Greg now to try and steal from Aaron. In April 2022, what 36-year-old was named Academic Athlete of the Year at North Carolina A&T State for carrying a 4.0 GPA while playing on the men's golf team? It is unclear whether LeBron James disapproves of this honor. Oh, I, I, I do not follow college athletics. Oh, well, the thing is, I, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think fairly clearly there's no way Yogesh would expect us to know a random men's college golfer. In North Carolina, A&T is a historically black college, so. And, and, and how does LeBron James figure in? Well, that's, that's got to be the primary hint. I, I, I do not know the answer to this. I have not paid attention to anything at all that has happened in the world since my second son was born on October 12th, 2021. So my knowledge of any events since then is basically zero. Russia invaded Ukraine. Yes. Yeah. I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> this individual had nothing to do with that. Yes. So um, <laughs> that we know 36, of. That we know of. Yet. Okay. This individual is 36 years old, which means they were born in uh, 1984, um, 1986. Yeah. And I mean, so, if they were a prominent, that's definitely not Tiger Woods. He was born. Yeah. I mean, uh, a few yeah, years t- before t- t- that. T- and, and, he went and to Stanford. I mean, I mean, he went to Stanford. Tiger Woods would not be, would not be yeah. at a college or carrying any kind of GPA. Well, it can't. It, well, it, it can't be. It's got to be. So this is somebody that was born in '86. Then they must have been at their academic or their their athletic peak. And um, I mean, is, is it possible that they're? I mean, LeBron James is a basketball player. Even I know that. So is this someone who was a basketball <laughs> player and retired from basketball and then went went to well, college? That's, that's and, what I'm trying to played, think. They would have had to have been. A, they would have had to have been at their peak in basketball. You know, between five to ten years ago, based on normal yeah, so basketball. I mean, is, is there patterns. someone? Is there someone that LeBron James had a notable rivalry with? or enmity to could it be Dwayne wade he got drafted in 2004 so that is but he was out of college there's no way he was he's he's got to be a little bit older than that i think he's i think he's got to be a little bit older than that you, you, you managed to pull a name which which is which is more than i could do i mean i really you know the, the, the only basketball players that i know are the mega stars i mean i think it must be a basketball player i don't LeBron, it could be from a commercial or or something. Disapproves. I I I think I think we'll just lock in Dwayne Wade. I, I think I think that year is a little bit off for him, but that's the best I can come up with. I certainly right. have nothing better. All right, you're locked in, Wade. All right, Aaron. Yeah. I like how you guys were thinking about it. It's J.R. Smith. Of course. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, I I just happened to see this in the news. I thought it was kind of an interesting and funny story he he went back he came out of high school and went directly to the pros so he had of course yeah it should have been somebody of his, he had all of his nca eligibility remaining i suppose outside of basketball so so he joined the golf team and he he plays for the golf team and he's also quite an, an intelligent guy he just you know went went from high school to the pros and so never really formally attended college and, and now he's he's doing it my story about jr smith I, I have a story about him we when the hawks were good one year they made the eastern conference finals 
which they played against the, the Cavaliers, and they got completely blown out. All four, it was a four-game sweep, and all four games were total blowouts. And and game one was in Atlanta. Atlanta was actually the one seed that year, so they actually were the home team. And I attended that game, game one, and Atlanta totally shut down LeBron James, and and J.R. Smith scored like 40 points. He had like eight three-pointers and, <laughs> and and just completely destroyed us. So that's uh, that's my first thought on, on J.R. Smith. The one and only Eastern Conference final game I'll probably ever go to because Hawks are usually horrible. Yeah. In case it wasn't clear, the, the reference to LeBron James disapproving is, of course, the famous much memed photo of game yeah. one of the playoffs when he tried to, to run out the clock rather than score. And LeBron James famously extended his arms with a very funny expression on his face. And yeah, this was actually a, one case where guessing Smith would actually have. Uh, oh, have yeah. <laughs> All right. Aaron and Greg now to try and steal from David. As the late Alice Bradley Sheldon could no doubt have told you, in what Essex Village are or in what Essex Village was Wilkin and Sons Limited founded in 1885 as the Britannia Fruit Preserving Company? The name of this village is also the name of their signature marmalade brand. Alice B. Sheldon is the real name of the science fiction author who's known as James Tiptree, a well-known science fiction author of the 60s and 70s. A very good author, I, I, one of my favorites. So I, I don't know. I, I will say I do not know the answer to this question, but but I, I would have to imagine the answer is Tiptree. I don't I don't see what else it I've never heard of of the village or or that marmalade brand, but but I I I can't think of any reason why I would guess anything different. I'm pretty sure it's correct. James Tiptree was definitely let me think a little bit harder. James Tiptree was definitely a male pseudonym of a female author. And I'm 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 I have some James Sheldon books, some James Tiptree books, and I, I, I think they are now labeled as James Tiptree slash Alice B. Sheldon. So I, I think that is correct. So I, I would say Tiptree. You have any reason to think different, Aaron? No. nothing. Right, our guess is, is Tiptree. All right. Yeah. She apparently took the pseudonym off of a jar of marmalade. But I do have a bonus for David. Due to the controversy surrounding the deaths of Alice Bradley Sheldon and her husband, in 2019, the committee that awards the James Tiptree Jr. Award announced that it would be renamed. The award would be renamed to what? Well, my, my, my friend Debbie Notkin was on that committee, and the, 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 it is now known as the Otherwise Award. That is correct. So points for everyone on that. James Tiptree is one of my favorite old school science fiction authors. I think she is... Very imaginative. It's never been definitively settled whether the death of her and her husband was a suicide pact, as her defenders would argue, or a murder-suicide, as those not on her side would say. But due to that controversy, she's considered a less admirable person nowadays than she was at one point. All right. Uh, David and Aaron now to close out the round, trying to steal from Greg. From 1984 until a 1985 annulment, Janet Jackson was married to a member of which Motown-affiliated family? Gordy's? <laughs> I don't know. Is there another family that did recording for Motown besides the Jacksons? Nothing, nothing is coming to me here. Well, I mean, there at that time, that, that band Rockwell had, had Gordy's in it. Like guys who were who would have been roughly that age. I, I didn't know they married to Janet Jackson briefly, but the timing sort of lines up. I, that that feels super easy. I don't know who else would you would you associate with Motown? I, I I'm trying to think of other Motown family acts and coming up blank, but Motown is not a strong subject for me. D- uh, DeBarge? 
They had a fan. They were a family act from Detroit at that time. I mean, I've, I've, heard, I've heard of they, they had some dudes who would have been about a family act. Motown, oh, Motown affiliated family. I don't know if we're overthinking it, but oh, I mean, forties. Th- those guys in Rockville, or I mean Rockwell were related to the Gordies. The barge is another family that had guys who I guess would have been the right age to marry Janet Jackson and were somewhat famous at that time. I, 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 I'm going to say pick something and lock it in and, and, and I'll, I'll back you up. I mean, can the Gordies, can it really be that easy? What do you think? I, I mean, I, I don't know. You've what you've seen more episodes of Yogesh's show than me. <laughs> uh, that does feel like like I feel like in 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 this in the middle round that that it would be a slightly deeper cut, most likely. But uh, if it's a deeper cut, I do not know what it is. So I, all right, I we're like going we with, might go with that for lack we're going of anything with better. Debar- we're going with DeBarge then. All right. I tried my hardest to maintain a poker face uh, throughout that, unlike last time, but unfortunately, it is uh, it is DeBarge. That is, I don't know where that came from Yay. right at the last second, but it is DeBarge. <laughs> that is the right answer. I think I didn't. That's I didn't the second have my... time in a row you've just you've just pulled it out of nowhere. What a shame. <laughs> I didn't have my hand in front of my face when you said it, too. I tried to, but then I was like, well, if I move my hand to my face now, I will, that would be a giveaway. So I just had to kind of attempt a poker face but no i was just thinking like gordy's could be i was a little bit thrown by because those the rockwell guys are gordy's so i rockwell think was, I think, was yeah. a nephew it was just one guy he was a nephew of Barry yeah Gordy, yeah, yeah then, I, I was gonna say i think rockwell is one person uh, yeah like lmfao oh sorry can we yeah, i need lmfao or gordy's but that's they're a little yeah. young to marry janet jackson well i i don't know maybe not Right. But, but I mean, <laughs> regarding the Gord, so it, I was actually just listening back earlier today to episode 13, where I used my all time, actually one of my all time favorite facts of any stripe, but particularly related to the Gordy family, that Barry Gordy and Jimmy Carter share a great grandfather. No way. Yes, that is just simply one of the most amazing facts I ever came across. Yeah, they're biological second cousins. So I guess technically, if it were the Gordy family, you would also have said the Carter family because they would be the same family. <laughs> but yeah, I can't, I can't remember which of the DeBarges it was, but it, it for sure she was married to to one of the one of the DeBarges. Yeah, I I definitely found that in my research, but I'll double check which. Glad that popped in last minute. James, maybe J- James DeBarge. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Future Yogesh here. Just to clarify, Rockwell is in fact a lone musician. He is the son of Motown founder Barry Gordy. Okay, so that finishes out that round with, uh, it was what, David and Aaron getting credit? Yeah, Greg's been having some bad luck, but yeah, Aaron's uh, bridge knowledge keeps him in the lead. <laughs> He's been getting points on yes, all the bridges. Oh, that's true. Some, yeah, he gets two I've points on every bridge. Tremendous question. luck. On yeah. those, uh, four four yeah. points that yeah. round, I think, isn't it? Well, because yeah. we, we, we've both stolen all four bridge. All four bridge questions have been stolen so far. Yeah. Yep. So uh, he's at uh, thirty-two point one. David at twenty-six point zero. Greg at sixteen point one. As we head into the final round, the super hard round, six points for a steal, five for a specialist, three for a bonus. And uh, if we're all ready to continue, we begin with David and Greg to try and steal from Aaron. In what Bill James once called the most brilliant managerial stratagem in the history of baseball, 
What manager gave pitcher Howard Emke, believed by most to be completely washed up, a month's rest and then had him start game one of the 1929 World Series? Emke proceeded to strike out 13 batters at the time of World Series record en route to a 3-1 complete game victory. The 29 World Series probably was won by the Yankees. That, that doesn't mean that reasonable. this is, I think the 20, I'm trying to think the 27 World Series was between the Yankees and the Pirates. Who would it have been? There was a time when the Oakland A's had taken over as the top team. But what, in, in 1929? I mean, the, the Oakland A's didn't even exist. Not Oakland A's, I'm sorry, the Philadelphia A's. Okay. And and here here's here's my logic. I I I know the Philadelphia A's were coached by Connie Mack and I I can't remember who coached the the, Yan- the those Yankees of 27. I'll probably think of it if I if I think for a minute. I can't I know the Yankees won quite a few World Series but it doesn't mean they won all of them. I know there was a period of time in the late 20s and and I really I associated more with the early 30s where the Philadelphia A's were the had, had taken over the Yankees as the best team in baseball with Lefty Grove. I, <laughs> I'm trying to still, although it's, it's proven fruitless so far, follow the, the logic of what could be the connection between this and any of the other questions that, that, that we've stolen that could give a hint at, or not stolen that could, could give a hint as to the, the city in question. But um I, I'm, I'm going to say this is all. You I would say Connie Mack. That's the best. Like that's that. I know that he was a manager of the A's, and I, I just can't remember who managed the Yankees back then. So, so I think that's going to have to be my answer. We'll we'll say Connie Mack. All right, Connie Mack, Cornelius McGillicuddy. Is that right, Aaron? I am not a hundred percent sure. It's probably Mack, or I think Stengel would have been. Yes, I, I think Stengel would have been managing the Yankees at that point. The the Pittsburgh thing is interesting too. I'm actually not that good at the old world series. I need to go take a look at those again. If it's Pittsburgh, who it it would be Murtaugh, right? But I I would have gone with Stengel, Hmm. but Mac very well could be right. That's interesting. I'm because I know Stengel was still active in the 60s because he was the initial manager of the Mets when they joined or when they were became an expansion team. Was he did his career go that I think far? He was back? the manager of the 27 Yankees. Yeah. And when, once you mentioned that, I think that is correct. I am pretty no, sure. No, no. Uh, he, he was, I mean, he was still playing up until the mid 20s. Um, okay. He didn't manage the Yankees until 1949. Ah, then I'm way off with that. Yeah. So it is Mac. It, it is, uh, yes, the, the correct answer is Connie Mack, yes. Hey, I am happy to ride Greg's coattails here. <laughs> right, I'm curious if uh, I can find the manager, uh, Miller Huggins. Miller uh, Huggins, yes. the 1927 New York Yankees were managed by Miller Huggins. All right, yeah, Sengel seemed like a later era, and I, I believe he was. But all right, here's a bonus for Aaron. Emke Manufacturing Company, founded by Howard Emke, which is still in business today, got its start making what sort of heavy equipment utilized by professional baseball teams? Heavy equipment. Heavy equipment. Bats, catcher's mask. (laughs) What else is particularly heavy? The mound? Let's, Let's go with bats. All right, good guess, but we're looking for something quite a bit heavier. They manufactured the tarpaulin, canvas tarpaulin that was used to cover the ground when it rained. 
Oh, interesting. And is that what they still do? They they've branched out. I think they may maybe they may still have it as one of their products, but they've branched out into all sorts of manufacturing. I think during World War II they got a bunch of defense contracts and things like that. Oh, cool. All right. So that actually, David, is not quite tied with Aaron because of the point one tiebreaker, but otherwise tied. Well done. Oh, okay. A lot better than I expected to be doing, I can tell you. <laughs> All right, now it's Aaron and Greg's turn to try and steal from David. Between 2011 and the present, only two male authors have won the Hugo Award for Best Novel. I believe the other winners have all been women. There might be some non-binary in there. So name either of those two men. There was a point at which I followed the Hugo Awards, not super closely, but closely enough. I know N.K. Jamison won it three years in a row. I know Mary Robinette Kowal run it at least once, maybe even twice. Obviously, those are both females, so that doesn't help. Between 2011 and the present, I'm just trying to think of male authors, Brandon Sanderson, but I don't, I don't think he's won. George R.R. R. Martin, would, there's no way that would be the answer to the extremely difficult question, so I think we can, we can rule that one out. I'll go with whatever you've got here. I, don't I still feel to... like if I think about this, it, something might might pop into my head because I I, oh, right. I look at the list every year and you know usually download audiobooks of the ones that that sound interesting, but I don't I don't retain it. <laughs> I don't retain the information very well unless I actually read the book. Ted Chiang has won quite a few Hugo Awards, but I think he writes exclusively short stories. You know what? I bet. I think the three body problem one that might have been before 2011, but that is by six C I X I N space L I U. I won't, I won't, you, you say you speak Chinese. So perhaps you can, you can give a shot at it. Something I'm guessing what he said is our answer and we're locking it in. Locking in Liu Xixin. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the two. Yeah. Well done. I think the other one was John Scalzi. Uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll credit you with a bonus for that. that was oh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, at, yeah, Brandon Sanderson has one, but not best novel. Uh, it was either novella or novelette. Okay. Well, he writes enough books that by the, the law of large numbers, he would have to win sooner or later. All right. I wasn't entirely sure if I had the difficulty of this next one calibrated properly, but I guess we'll see. And, and there is a bonus if it, if it does get stolen. All right. David and Aaron now to try and steal from Greg. Janet Jackson's first entry into the UK singles chart. Actually, you know what? I'm going to rewrite this question on the fly. I want to make it a little more difficult. Janet Jackson's first entry in the UK, into the UK singles chart, top 100, to the power of love, was a duet with which English pop star? It was her first debut. It was probably too early for Harry Styles. Did he give uh, a year? He did not. Oh, no, here's the first entry. But, uh, I mean, she's been active since the 80s, as, as, as we know. So it could be anything from the 80s to the 90s to the, 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 the current decade. So I, I'm not familiar uh, with this song or with English pop stars in general. Harry Styles isn't a terrible guess. If we're going, I kind late. of feel like he's too recent. I want, I want to say this is probably something earlier. Ed Sheeran is too. That would be too late. Even later, Ed, Ed Sheeran's late, made his debut later than Harry Styles. You know, see, it shows you how much I know I think, here. I think so. I don't. I don't know either. The 
I mean, who if we're going with somebody from the 80s or 90s? Elton John, maybe? Is he British? I think he is. Elton John is definitely British. Okay. And there's like probably Paul a wide Mc- field to choose Paul McCartney. from. Maybe. Sting. I don't feel like Sting went around doing a lot of duets, but Seal could Steel. be. I don't know. Steel. Uh, I'm kind of liking Elton John, but maybe I'm influenced by the by the recent remix with him in it that's on the Billboard Hot 100. Well, yeah, he, he's in there. He's on there now with Dua Lipa. Right. I I kind of feel like you you know more than I do here. Maybe you know, what you can if you can settle on something i'm i'm willing is, to go is there a song it. called the power of love that were i mean there was a song called the power of love by huey lewis in the news but i feel like that's not really relevant we got anything well i mean all the names we threw out there could work i'm fine with elton john i think we could go with is elton john a pop star i would say so yeah yeah, I mean, I, I am very, very fuzzy on where the boundary between pop and rock yeah. lie. All right, sure, let's go with it. I, uh... Okay, I guess we're locking in Elton John. All right, yeah, good guess. I could definitely see them collaborating, although I don't know if they ever did, but not correct. Greg? I have a vague knowledge of this song, but it's not one of my favorite of her works. I, I don't believe it was a hit, at least not a major hit in the U.S. I, I'd have to imagine it was in the 80s. My... So my my guess was going to be Phil Collins, but I I can't imagine that a duet between Phil Collins and Janet Jackson would not have been a big hit in the U.S. But it's, it's probably my other thought was it she was not on Motown. She was she was in A and M Records and then Virgin. My guess is Phil Collins. I can't think of anything else. I can't I can't I just can't remember this one. Okay. And making it harder, I was just hoping to kind of, you know, protect you from getting stolen from, but I also protected you <laughs> from, okay. from answering correctly. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, you know, someone, a humongous star in the UK, virtually unknown in the US for some Ooh, reason. Was it Cliff Richard? Cliff Richard. Yeah. And it was 1984, I believe, was the year. Yeah, that was from her. That's why I, it was in my head somewhere, but Janet Jackson's first two albums are really bad. Her 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 first good album was Control in 1986. And I, I almost never listened to Janet Jackson and Dream Street. Those are her first two albums. That's that's why I didn't know it. Yeah. In addition to being on Dream Street, she also performed it not with Cliff Richard on Fame, which was the show she was on at the time. Yes. Yeah. All right. David and Greg to try and steal from Aaron. In the real world, Barataria is the Trinidad birthplace of Tony-winning actress Heather Headley. It's also the fictional setting of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Gondoliers, or The King of Barataria. But it likely first shows up in literature as the name of an insula, or island, that what character is allowed to govern? Under a vaguely Latin-sounding, could that... First thing that's coming to my mind is Sancho Panza. You know, like like you know, after he's he's done squiring for for Don Quixote, is his happy ever after that he goes and becomes a governor of an island that that feels like a name that uh, Cervantes might have made up for such a thing. The first name that came to my mind was Gulliver's Travels, but that was purely based on the word island. So I I, I think that 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 reasoning is is probably too basic for. Uh, a, a question at this level. I don't think Sancho Panza or Don Quixote, based on the actual events of the novel, would they, they weren't really knights. I mean, they were I, I don't I don't 
I don't think they would have been governing anything, but but it is obviously possible. The gondoliers, uh, obviously that's associated with Venice, although that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Barateria. Yeah, the, the, I don't know the word insula either. I don't know if that is a word for island in in, in a, a language. Uh, it could be. Is, yeah, it the, yeah, is it the Latin word for island? It could be. Yeah, I believe it is. So then could it be way back? If it says first shows up in literature, could it be back as far as Aeneas or I've read the Aeneid and, and I'm certain that name does not appear there, but it could be some other piece of Roman literature. But but I think my knowledge of characters from Roman literature is, has has been exhausted. The uh, <laughs> the yeah, uh, I mean I I I I can think of, of the golden ass, for example, but well, no, I don't know any characters, any characters from it. From yeah. it. I, I, I would I, based on the gondoliers and 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 the sound of it, I, I would have guessed it, it it might be it doesn't also doesn't you know in literature it, it, some 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 somebody Italian, but I, I don't know that Orlando maybe um, at least conceivable. An island could be like Sinbad or somebody from the Arabian Nights maybe. Although that sounds a little too Latin to be yeah. Arabian, but I mean, I could be wildly off there. I'm just trying um, to think of, I, of I, seafaring. I wanna... Oh, could it be? Could it be Robinson Crusoe? Hmm. I don't. Maybe. I mean, does Robinson Crusoe? I mean, so, so you're 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 saying that he governs? Is the island that he was he... on called? I don't know. Is it called Barataria? It could could be called that. Or I nothing. do not know. I, I have if, no if, if his island had a name, I don't know what it is. So. I don't, I don't, I don't have a good guess. What, what, what would, what, what do you lean towards, David? Um, let's see. What was that? There, 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 um, gosh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of liking your guess of Orlando. We'll say it. We'll lock in Orlando. Okay. All right. Good guess, but not correct. Aaron. I, I had two. Sancho, Sancho Panza was one, and I, I think that is a reasonable guess i'm not a hundred percent certain the other one is candide which there there is a part of that where that there is something remotely like this that pops up barataria sounds more spanish than french so I will, I'll go with Sancho Panza, but potentially against my better judgment. I'm hoping that's correct because then David and I would, would, would each have talked each other out of, of one's deal. So that would, that would, that would add some good symmetry to the episode. Yeah. So linguistically like Barateria comes from Barato, which is Spanish. It's the opposite of rich. It means like inexpensive, cheap, poor. Yeah. And in terms of, yeah, your guess of Sancho Panza, right? Everyone remembers the part where he and Don Quixote are kind of going around. Don Quixote is mad and Sancho Panza is following him around. A lot of people don't remember that, I don't know, 10, 15 years after that part of the novel, like it was so popular, people were publishing all sorts of unauthorized sequels to it. So Cervantes decided to publish his own sequel, which is 
really extraordinary because it's very ahead of its time because the premise is basically that people have learned about Don Quixote and Sancho Panza and they're basically celebrities because of what happened in the first novel. So it's kind of like a reflection on, it's almost like metafiction in that sense. And he also kind of throws in digs at the knockoff sequels. But yeah, it was during the plot of that, that, you know, because Quixote always promised Panza Panza an island, didn't have the power to give it to him. But during that second part, some rich people who do have an island decide to give it to Sanjo Panza and let him govern it. And it is called Barataria. <laughs> oh, I have, I did not know of the sequel. It wouldn't have made sense in the plot of the first book. That's why I, I discarded it, but I, I didn't know there was a sequel. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for not going with that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you were on it. Yeah, that could have been David taking back the lead from Aaron, but instead Aaron extends his lead. Taking back? Was I ever in the lead? Uh, I think it, well. I don't think so, but anyway. Okay. Well, and taking over the lead then. Okay. Now Aaron and Greg to try and steal from David. A member of the team known variously as the Supreme Soviets, the People's Protectorate, or the Winter Guard, what Marvel comic superhero from Russia, with powers and persona roughly congruent to those of Thor, is an avatar of the sky god and chief deity in the pantheon of Slavic mythology? Fortunately, this one, uh, this one's going to be off uh, for me. I, I don't know this character at all. I'm so when I hear it. We it, would, it, would, it would have to go off of slavic mythology and i also do not know anything about slavic mythology so slavic myth this is one of those things that was on something i tried to learn memorize at, at 1.20 years ago but it is not coming to me in the moment don't know yeah i don't know the superhero in the in the least i don't i don't think i that doesn't even sound familiar to me the best i can think uh, to do is to just guess a a a place name Slavic in the, names. in the Slavic region and, and hope that it was named for the um or just guess a name like Vladimir or yeah that's as good as any I think I don't I don't I don't think do you think it, there's any value in in trying to think to me there's not I I, I don't I just Radomir, don't Radomir all right we'll lock in Radomir <laughs> all right a decent guess but not correct David oh, the, the winter guard has never been among my favorite characters, even though they had a miniseries recently, you know, you'd think I would, I'd be sure about this, but the, the name that's common to me for the sky god in the Russian pantheon, and I want to say there's even been a question where this was the answer on something recently, maybe BP Trivia, uh, it wasn't the mythology mini-league, but, but anyway, I want to go with Perun, P-E-R-U-N. Okay, yeah, I, I've, I've been one of the things I just, I don't, really know comics, but I read the Wikipedia, I love reading the Wikipedia pages about comic book characters. And yeah, one of the things that really, you know, jumps out at me is how much the, the Marvel writers have reappropriated all these mythological characters from thousands of years ago, especially in Norse mythology. They've, they've drawn so many characters from like those Eddas and so on and made them like comic book characters. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of Slavic mythology, yeah, this was a deep cut that they, they went to for this, but the, the chief god of the Slavic pantheon is named Perun. Never heard well of that done. before. Very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, not not quite uh, taking the lead though. Okay. I, honestly, anything except way in last place. I am. Oh, that's I place you're where I am. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's, it, it happens a lot in this that, yeah, people just kind of get, you know, the combination of just a few steals and a little bit of 50-50 going the wrong way. Suddenly you end up several points behind and it is not at all a reflection on, you know, your oh, ability. I'm, as I'm, a I'm, 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 I'm quite pleased with my performance this match. 
All right, David and Aaron now to try and steal from Greg. Several of Italo Calvino's short stories are narrated by a being with a five-letter palindromic name. It's unlikely you'll be able to pronounce that name, and if you did, it's extremely unlikely I would recognize it. So I'm going to ask you to spell it for me, and I will tell you that the first letter is Q, or capital Q. You didn't even need to tell me that one. (laughs) So Sorry, Greg. Yeah, our interests are You gave him a sci-fi question for a steal. (laughs) And I don't know this one, so I'll get lucky points again. Well done. And, and, and that is QWFWQ, star of Cosmic Comics. Indeed. And, yeah. and, and if I may be permitted to, to, to go for a bit, I, I actually, when I first read those, I had a lot of trouble reading them because my, my brain kept trying to read them as science fiction, and they totally are not science fiction. They are fables inspired yeah. by science and 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 i finally hit one of them where, where the metaphor was just overpowering enough that that i could reset my my reader's brain and read them as fables and 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 then they became a lot more satisfying to read because my comics is one of my favorite of calvino's books i th- yeah and t-zero as well the, the have, you, have you read the, the castle of cross destinies i have read the castle i've read i've read virtually all of of his books you know I think that his first book about spiders, something with spiders, I, I have never read that one, but I think I've read all the other ones. Yeah, and for the benefit of listeners, I'm sure Greg has figured this out long ago, but the references to second-person narration to Marco Polo and Kublai Khan, these were all fitting within the category of Italo Calvino. Yeah, because half oh, of, uh, half of it, if half of if, if on a winter's night, a traveler is in second person as well, the main, the main story, which is half of the book. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Future Yogesh. I just wanted to note that after the recording was over, Greg pointed out to me that I'd made a careless error. I had accepted David's answer of QWFWQ, when in fact the correct answer was QFWFQ. As a result, in tabulating the final scores, I took the points away from David and Aaron and gave them to Greg. All right, going into the last cycle, Aaron's still protecting his lead, but David could snatch it from him at any moment. All right, David and Greg now to try and steal from Aaron. Decebalus was a king of Dacia, or Dacia, not quite sure how that's pronounced, who resisted a Roman invasion during the reign of Domitian. However, when the Romans under Trajan overran his capital, Sarmizagetusa, he committed suicide to avoid capture. A soldier named Maximus is said to have cut off his head as a trophy. That head was then transported to Rome and ceremonially thrown down the Gemonian steps to complete his disgrace. However, since the 19th century, Decebalus has been held up as a national hero by the people of what country? Even today, one extremist strain of this country's nationalist movement is known as Dacianism. I know a decent amount about this. I remember reading and, and, and trying to... I don't know why, but a while ago, I, I just in, in my, my world history knowledge is quite poor. So I, I thought, well, let me learn a bit about the history of Thrace, T-H-R-I-S-E, Thrace, which is the region in which this takes place. And and I, I remember reading about Decebalus and, and all of this. And, and, and I know that the majority of, I don't know this for sure, but the majority of Thrace is located in Bulgaria. So I, I, I would think that should be the correct answer. Um, yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, so we, I think I think I think we'll lock in Bulgaria. All right, I'll keep silent about that and pass it to Aaron. That I think this one where Dacia is, I thought it was mostly in Romania, but I think there is a part of it 
that is also in Bulgaria and maybe Hungary as well. I, I'm not as clear on this as I could be. I, I think Bulgaria very well could be right. But my my guess on this would have been Romania. So I, I will I will go with that. That was what I was 50-50 between whether it was Bulgaria or Romania. But I think the majority of the region of Thrace is in Bulgaria, but that doesn't mean that, that this is there, yeah. Yeah, the ancient region of Dacia, or Dacia, maybe it is Dacia. I think actually Wikipedia is kind of trying to tell me it's Dacia. If you went with the ancient pronunciation, the C would be hard. It would be like something like Dacia. So uh, we, we might as well say Dacia. Right. Yeah, that one corresponded pretty well to modern Romania. So uh, okay. Aaron, Aaron's correct here. That's too bad. I knew I knew a lot of the other facts on that, Decibolus and Sarmiz Egetusa and, and Trajan and all that, but unfortunately not that one. All right. Uh, penultimate question of the game. For the last two questions, we'll be returning to uh, half of ha- the favorite topic of half of the people in the Zoom. <laughs> okay. So for Aaron and Greg now to try and steal from David. Back in episode 22, I mentioned that a certain woman was, while married to artist Waldo Purse, fished out of the ocean alongside aviator Lawrence Berry in a manner that led to them later being let's say, honored as the first two inductees into the so-called Mile High Club. That woman then divorced Purse, met a man who was a bridge expert, and became his partner, both in life and at the table. Today, she is remembered for naming and popularizing what bridge-playing technique? (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. I I thought most of the terms from bridge are, are bidding conventions. So this is... It's a certain woman married to Wall. So this is this is a very early person. I thought the first thing that came to mind that the only genuine early bridge player that I know is Eli Culbertson, but I, I don't know that he's the namesake of of a bridge playing technique. I'm honestly trying to think of there are different coups that have names and and um, squeeze, but that's just a descriptive name. I am not uh, as good at the names of play techniques. I'm not If I can't think of anything else, I'll just, I'll just have to say it's got to be something Culbertson. Oh, I know how to had, had quite a <laughs> had quite a colorful life and 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 did play bridge with his wife as his partner. I know that for sure. I just I just don't know that that he would have been the namesake of a popular bridge playing technique. But I don't I don't. I'm trying to think of what. It doesn't say it's named after her. It just says she named it. So I, yeah, I was about to say it doesn't say namesake in the question. So it 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 could be like the bath coup or or I don't I don't even what what would be a bridge playing technique. I'm trying to even think of of what that phraseology slow tempo <laughs> means. <laughs> um, could be. I was going to say something about slow tempo relating it to the other part of the question, but I decided not to. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think, uh, yeah, we don't want to take up too much time. We're getting towards the end. So we, we just, I just have to, um, to guess something. So I, I'm trying to think whether it's better off to just, just, just guess the, the person's name who I suspect it is, or, or just guess a random bridge playing technique, but I, I'll just say Culbertson. I think the Culbertson uh, technique. All right. Good guess, but not correct. David? 
In fact, Josephine Culbertson did give her the name Josephine to a bidding convention that has somewhat fallen out of favor, but Josephine Culbertson is not the woman that we're talking about here. I'm pretty sure I'd have gotten this even if I didn't remember episode 22, but I have a definite memory that that was talking about Dorothy Sims, who who was married to P. Hal Sims, and... On being asked how she knew that her bluff bid would work would work out well, she replied, "I'm psychic," and th- these became known as psychic bids uh, or psychs. I believe she's the okay. author of a of a book about psychic bids. Okay, I I, I, well, I, I, I misinterpreted one, one little little remembered. I misinterpreted the phraseology. Usually, bridge playing means the play of the cards, but but yeah, uh, I yeah, I think tactic that. would have been a better word than technique here. I think. Yeah, I was trying to be as vague as possible, but yes, I'm not familiar with the game well enough to know that that usually yeah. playing means usually playing means to play the cards, not the bidding. But it doesn't it's, it doesn't matter. It's a knowable fact that I didn't know. Yeah, I apologize for that. Wikipedia incidentally lists Lord Sperry as the inventor of the autopilot, which definitely made me wonder what exactly motivated him to invent the <laughs> autopilot. <laughs> All right, final. Okay, that was uh, for David. Let's see how the final one will check out. This is going to be, this is going to be David and Aaron. Okay, so David and Aaron are on the same side of this question. So the outcome won't be decided. The order of finish won't be decided by this question, but of course we're all playing for pride and to show off knowledge. So David and Aaron now to try and steal from Greg. The team that finished runners up in the quest for the 2022 Vanderbilt Trophy. Let me start over. The team that finished runners-up in the quest for the 2022 Vanderbilt Trophy includes what founder and chairperson of Quick Eagle Networks, previously Digital Link Corporation? Wikipedia describes her as the first woman of Indian origin to take a company public in the United States. Uh, I have to admit, I I have not, didn't pay attention to the the results of of that tournament. I'm not going to get off America's Cup, but we can try to talk through the I'm, I, I, I'm not remembering any of the teams that entered, entered the Vanderbilt this year. Uh, I mean, that, that would have been in, in Reno not, not long ago, I guess. So uh, I was not paying attention to the bridge news. Do you know anything about the tech side of this, maybe? The tech side, yeah. I mean, Quick Eagle Networks, previously Digital Incorporation, feels kind of old. Like, I, I don't know if this is a recent startup i mean i'm trying to think of female executives of indian origin i mean indra nui is is probably the best known i'm I'm trying to think of prominent sponsors of bridge teams who are indian females i'm coming up blank is this the america's cup one or the bridge one the, the, this is bridge. The, 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 the 2022 Vander, the, the, the Vander, Vanderbilt Trophy is one of the three national championships that are played at the North American Bridge Championship tournaments that take place three times a year. Uh, okay. So the first one to be public in the US. So, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm kind of drawing a blank here. I, I, in terms of famous business executives of Indian descent, all I've, uh, who are women, all I've got is Indra Nui, who is the CEO of Pepsi, but I don't think that. I, I, I have not heard all. of her as a bridge sponsor. Um, um, I, who, 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 and there, there, there was a, there was a woman who was associated with, with Warren Buffett. Oh, this is, Warren Buffett. Yeah. And I mean, 
That doesn't ring Which, a bell. Yeah, I mean, and Warren Buffett uh, and 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 Bill Gates are sort of famous businessmen who who play bridge. And uh, I, I want to say that, that I've I've heard of a woman's name and associated in association with Buffett's name, but it's possible that she was a bridge pro that 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 he was hiring. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to just go with a lucky lucky Patil or? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, and see, Quick Eagle Networks, they would have gone public as Digital Link Corporation or as Quick Eagle Networks. But uh, I mean, I don't know anything. It was neither, of neither of those company names ring a bell at all for me. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, OK, I, I feel like we're sort of going in circles and not getting anywhere. I'm fine so, guessing Patel, Rao. Or, 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 or maybe Tata. A, Tata Steel sponsors chess tournaments. Maybe a member of the Tata family decided to take up bridge to take that's an interesting guess is tata public in the u.s it doesn't say it doesn't say the woman herself is a u.s citizen yeah so it could be a member of the tata family who is indian by nationality i don't know about citizen but i would think taking a company public in the u.s would at least imply like a resident you know someone based in the u.s I mean, not necessarily. You can take a you can take a company public in the U.S. and not live in the U.S. I mean, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of saying you know we don't have anything better. Yeah, go for it. All right, we're gonna lock in Tata. All right, I see your logic there. Good guess, but not correct. Pass it to Craig. Well, unfortunately, normally I do follow the Vanderbilt Cup results, but as uh, previously indicated, that occurred after October of 2021, so I did not follow them at all this year. I will say that. It is not uncommon for wealthy people to sponsor bridge teams as a vanity project and then usually put themselves on the team, although they will normally be by far the weakest player. They will salary top bridge players, put them on a salary and, 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 and force them to, to put them on their team. Essentially, that's how the famous American team, the Dallas Aces, was created by a very rich Texas oil man. But... But that's stalling because I have absolutely no idea what the answer to this question is. So my my attempt at a at a Indian female equivalent of a Johnson is Kaur. I think yeah, I think Kaur is like a, a Sikh last name usually would be. Well, she could be Indian. Indian, Indian a Sikh's an Indian. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a plausible guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking now at an essay on her her website. She had, I think 2020 she had published an essay called "A Brave New World: The Game of Bridge." And then subhead, one will not regret taking the thrilling ride where fear, joy, and learnings come together. Yeah, apparently. She also says, and I guess she learned to play bridge about 10 years before that. So she'd been, I guess, working on it for a while. But probably her passion took the form of, as you said, kind of assembling a team that she could then yeah. be a member of. Yeah. Yeah. Her name is Vinita Gupta. Oh, see, it was, it was, I was on the right track. There's a common Indian last name. So I could have, I could have gotten it. It was guessable, yeah, yeah. Even even blind guessables, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So I believe the final scores now. I'll go back and recheck all these later. It's possible something got off somewhere, but what I have is fifty-four point one for Aaron, fifty-one point zero for David, twenty-eight point one for Greg. Hi, future Yogesh here with the adjustment on question twenty-four that I mentioned earlier. The actual final scores are Aaron forty-eight point one. David 45.0, and Greg 33.1. Very good scores from everyone, but Aaron holds on to victory. Congratulations, Aaron. 
Thank you. I benefited very much from some lucky draws, especially on bridge questions. So well, well played guys. Well played. Yeah. I think a review of the game will show that. Yeah. Everyone, everyone had really good knowledge. They showed off. It just, the numbers happened to go Aaron's way, but not to imply, of course, that he's not good at quizzing. You all are, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so, you know, and we've also finished pretty much. Yeah. Well on time. So we'll just finish with each of you getting a chance to make a statement. Again, it can be about anything you want about, about the game, about the world at large, about any combination of those things in any proportion. As long as it's not too long or offensive, it'll be kept in and we'll go in, I guess, reverse placement order. So starting with Aaron. Yeah, I, this, this game was really fun. I need to learn a lot more about bridge. I need to learn a lot more about the Hugo awards and potentially brush up on some early baseball things that I maybe once knew, but my, my dates are off, but it it was a, a fun game. Very interesting. Learned a lot. Thank you, Yogesh and well played guys. All right, David. I'll just say that as, as I listen to the back catalog, uh, you know, I've always felt very inferior. So, so I, I was honored just to be allowed to be on, and I had had a great time answering questions and working together with both of you two. I do want to put in one plug, which is you know, one of my categories was superhero comics. So there is a superhero comic which is my favorite superhero comic of the last quarter century, and I don't understand why it doesn't dominate the marketplace because you know if if everyone had tastes that that were correct, i.e., aligning with mine. Uh, uh, everyone would love this. And, and it's called Astro City by, by a writer named Kurt Music and mostly an artist, Brent Anderson. So uh, if you don't hate superhero comics, go read Astro City. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I personally have just never gotten into them at all, but I'm sure there are many people listening who will appreciate that tip. All right, Greg. I will give my pitch. If you enjoy strategy games, I know it can seem extremely intimidating to get into bridge but it, it it doesn't have to be the game the game itself is actually very simple it's not complicated at all a lot of the bidding conventions and scoring and whatnot are very complicated but you don't need to know that to play if you go onto the website which i have no affiliation with bridge clues which is bridgeclues2.com this is how i learned how to play they have a basics of bidding and basics of play walk through there that are very simple and and can get you pushed along the way, download a computer program, just play a little bit. It's, a, it's an extremely fun game. I've been a very avid casual player for 25 years, and I, 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 I'm not, although I picked it as a specialist subject, I'm, I'm not that into all the conventions and things like that. You don't, you don't have to be to play just, just casually. It's a, very fun, it's a very fun game to play if you enjoy strategy games at all. It, it's, it, it, it's, it's worth uh, investing a little bit of effort into learning how to play it. May I tell a quick story? Sure. I, I, I was adopted as a newborn. And then uh, when I was about 32 years old, my birth mother reached, you know, went and found me. And so I came into contact with my birth father. And about 10 years before that, I had taken up Tournament Bridge and become a serious tournament player. And it turned out that he was also. And not only that, but we also both like uh, weak no trumps. So uh, who, who knew that was genetic? Which is uh, uh, for the uh, listeners or... Uh, uncommon bidding system in the U.S., although it's common outside of the U.S. Yeah, just even looking at the glossary is enough to intimidate me. But I, I... it is, it is. But you don't, you don't. Ninety-five percent of it, you don't need to know to just play a normal game of bridge. There's like so many complicated bidding techniques you can learn 
that will come up in one game out of a thousand. But if you want to be a good player, you have to learn them all. But if you just want to play normally, you, you don't even have to use conventions. I play with my friends at work and we use no conventions at all. We just use just use normal conventional bids and 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 regular play. And it, it's 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 a fun game. And if you want to get into the, you know the tournament or club scene, you will find lots of people willing to help you learn. You know, lots of you know. The, my my experience with bridge players is, with, with a few unfortunate exceptions, they've been very friendly. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm sure there are many people listening who enjoy challenges. So you know, maybe some of them will. It is it, good to sort of yeah, like tell people kind of what your gateway is. You know, because even if someone maybe right now doesn't have time to do it, you know, if they ever do, it's good to have yeah that sort of on ramp thing. That's a very good way of getting people into into any hobby. Awesome. Hi, this is Future Yogesh. Everything after this point is just us postmorteming about the episode. There's no more questions, and you're not obligated to listen, but you never know. You might learn something. What were your subjects, Aaron? What were my subjects? What, what, they, they, what poison I, I think I gave... They just, they just seemed like nine random questions to me. <laughs> I, I think I gave, at the beginning when I, when I first mentioned this, I think I gave very general categories like history, art, sports... Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and those things did show up and I that makes sense. better right. at those things than other commonly <laughs> subjects, but <laughs> a bunch of other stuff showed up too. And I, I mean, I like tell, I mean, I, I usually tell people like, it's better to go on the specific side rather than to do what Aaron did and just go super broad. Okay. Yeah. That I was trying to, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I switched my specialist subject at the very last second to contract bridge from Bob the Builder, my true area of expertise, thanks to my three-year-old son. <laughs> you you, 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 you would have done have, a lot better with that. Uh, I was I, I I almost put chess, but but, but I I know that Yogesh is a fan yeah. of chess, and I I don't want to pick as a specialist subject something that Yogesh personally knows yeah. a lot about because uh, I think un, that could un, be that could be asking for disaster. So I, I, I and unfortunately for you, I'm I'm also a life member of the U.S. Chess Federation, so switching your subject to chess probably would not. No, have I should have I should have I should have gone with Bob the Builder. So I'm confident I know more about Bob the Builder than than both. Yes, you because I watch it every they're, day. They're, 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 they're you've got boys too. I have young boys. Yeah, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Minor. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. So they're they're out of Bob the Builder age. A little beyond. Yeah, Bob the Builder. They actually like my my younger son loves chess and he's he's pretty competent at six which I, I i never really played it yeah and i i play with him and am just starting to read more about openings and yeah strategy. so I it's it's somewhat similar to bridge it's another game that you can you can just fire up an online client and play and just just logically think through and 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 have a lot of fun you don't really need to I mean, it's, it's good. It, it, it enhances your enjoyment of it, but but it doesn't have to be an intimidating game. You know, you can always just fire up a game and play and, and see how you do, you know? One cool. thing that fascinates me about chess versus bridge is, is, is running in families because like almost none of the really strong chess players have had children who, who went on to become grandmasters, but, but, but a very large number of top level bridge players have. And I mean, well, part yeah, of my- that is probably the, the partnership <laughs> aspect because, uh, you know, uh, 
bridge is something that you can play with your dad, whereas yeah. chess is, is against it. And, and the top players are going to have enough will to win that they're not going to go easy on their kids. I might, I might, David might disagree with that. I think there are actually more chess players my age than uh, bridge players my age than than your age. There's like a whole generation of like my grandparents' generation. People yeah. born in the early 1900s, everybody played bridge. But then the the next generation down, there were almost no bridge players. And it's like yeah, I used to go to Scrabble tournaments about about 10 years ago, and everybody there was either was either 70 plus or 20 years old. There was nobody between the ages of 20 and 70 at a Scrabble tournament. There were a bunch of college kids and a, and a bunch of old retired people. So I, I think bridge tends to go that way as well. Yeah, I mean, go- going going to bridge tournaments is a great way for me to feel young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but in terms of in terms of chess, I definitely I like I peaked at basically nine. Like I won the city championship for my age group, and then the next year I moved into the same division as my brother, and I came second behind my brother in the city, and that was basically it. But I, I even at that age, like my father would always yell at me for being more into kind of the lore of the game than actually being good at the game, playing it. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, I definitely. You, 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 it is. You, you, were, you were already displaying uh, your, some of your later tendencies. I can honestly brag that, that, that I have beaten in a, in a tournament game at Slow Time Control, someone who went on to become chess champion of the United States. Hmm. Of course, he, 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 was, he was 12 years old and had a rating in the 1600s at the time, but he definitely did not peak there. <laughs> Yeah, so just to go to so the pre, this is episode 35. The previous one, episode 34, chess is a specialty. Then one next one I'm taping on Saturday, episode 36, chess is also a specialty topic. Should have gone, well, gone, <laughs> gone with Bob the Builder. Should have gone with Bob. My Bob the Builder fact is that Keith Chapman, who's the creator of Bob the Builder, also created Paw Patrol. So it's the same man that, that created both shows. So interesting. So, uh, name's Keith Chapman? Yeah, Keith Chapman. I'm waiting for it to come up on trivia because I, I see his name <laughs> at, at every every Bob the Builder episode. So well, I don't really know that much about the show. That that's why I didn't pick it because yeah. I, I don't know the trivia, actors or anything. It's just... Trivia stuff is funny. Like it, it <laughs> yeah. will. I definitely get a lot of things that I would not have gotten ten yeah. years ago. But I also don't have very complete knowledge. No, no, no. I've, I see. I see bits and pieces of Bob the yeah. Builder episodes every day, but I don't know that much about it. Really, it just yeah. Bob the Build had like a couple of Christmas number ones in the UK, right? Yeah, he did a cover of Mama Number Five with the lyrics changed to 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 building related terms. So you got uh, you got you got into English pop stars one way or the other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I I will I will admit that that while listening to the back catalog, I did put a fair amount of thought into you know, what are reasonably narrow uh, subjects that I know a lot about, and, and settled on just on the three that I that I sent to you. Mm-hmm. Janet Jackson, Italo Calvino, and and Enbridge. Yeah, so this isn't the first. So episode ten, two people submitted baseball as a category, but baseball is a much broader uh, that's category. Broad enough, yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of lots of deep cuts available for baseball. Yeah, in this case, I was like, oh, that's not unanticipated. And I was like, should I try and move them away? And then I was like, why not? Like, let's see what happens. Yeah, make it a fun game. And uh, Greg, Greg, you, I, I will say, you, you were, you were super unlucky to, to be on the I, same show as someone who's who's also read a lot of Calvino in his past and 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 as a brand as a bridge player. I I, I actually do. I, I can't take trivia losses quite hard and 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 get extremely upset over them, but but I, I only get upset if I personally feel as if I didn't perform well. And I, I'm I'm quite happy despite my score that 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 I got 
some good gets and and, and some very close certainly did. gets on on some other questions. So that's just the breaks didn't go my way this time, but I'm I'm, I'm quite happy with uh, with with my performance overall. Yeah, and I I could not be happier with my own. I didn't like the eighteen fourteen performance personally for myself. Should have gotten that. I should. I knew. I knew that it wasn't going to be. I just. I just got thrown off because I, I knew that it wasn't going to be something related to slavery or political because that's just. That's just not the the kind of. She's not a. Nothing against her, but she's not a politically conscious artist at all. That's not the type of music she produces at all. I mean, if it was like Beyonce or something, maybe, but she, she doesn't make music like that in in the least. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, Star Spangled I, Banner I, I makes a lot more sense. I, I I don't really know enough about her work even to to even even to to draw that conclusion. I I I, I love Janet Jackson. She's my favorite pop star. Her run of albums from Control through All for You, nineteen eighty six to two thousand one. All five of those albums are great. Yeah, but you were the one, David. I think who said, "Is it music related?" Which was kind yeah. of the key. Yeah, a clue. And some someone said War of eighteen twelve. Which if you just put those together. Yeah, well, I was I throwing mean, out it's, random it's always battles, easy in hindsight. random battles from the War of 1812, none of which took place in 1814. You were saying like Lake Erie, Bladensburg, I was like, is he going to say Fort McHenry? That- <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm somewhat disappointed because I, I should have come up with a, but other than that, good game. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was wondering why I didn't. I, I I deduced that that Janet Jackson song must have been on Dream Street because I didn't know it. So, but I should have gotten to Cliff Richard because it, it couldn't be a duet with a, a person who's popular in the U.S. Otherwise, it would have been a hit song in the U.S. as well. The name the name Cliff Richard sounds maybe very vaguely familiar, but I would have gone through a whole lot of guesses before landing on that. Richard, part. I think, had one top forty hit in the U.S. And, uh, and he, he, he has, like, he has like eighteen yeah. number ones in the in the in the UK. Yeah, and and for my part, I mean, pop music is is my second worst subject on Learned League. So, uh, so so yeah, I was not getting there. Yeah, that was one area where I I am in the process of really trying to learn more about it. DeBarge was a very nice last second pull. DeBarge, yeah, I, that was, was awesome. The uh, they're also why, one of my favorite bands, by the way. They're, they're if you like that kind of music, there. The reason why I got that that song, "Rhythm of the Night," was playing yeah. in my car when I was sitting there with my older son, waiting to go through. He likes to listen to music, so he always tells me to turn off the NPR or whatever I'm listening to, but. And we put it on and he said, oh, who sings this? Is this a new song? And I remember saying, we were waiting to get our emissions check in our car. And I, I remember him saying, who is this? And I was like, I can't quite remember it. I'll, I'll look it up. And he, my, my older son wants, he's, he's very, I get like, kind of like Yogesh. He's very, he always wants to know the story behind everything and every bit of where everything came from. And then we started reading this and the story, I mean, I, a lot of it, I, I was not telling my nine-year-old like their parents beat them and all that. There, there's all kind of like terrible stuff behind the scenes. And the father was this awful man and he married the mother when she was 14. And like, there's, there's some bizarre things going on there. But that's that's kind of where it popped into my head. I was like, oh, whoa, these guys are the same. They're the same age and they're active oh. at the same time. And by the way, yo, gosh, about, about four or five questions later, I don't know if I should have interrupted, but I realized I'm, I'm pretty sure that the narrator of Cosmicomics is QFWFQ, not QWFWQ. I think it's... Is I that think, what I think it, 
He said uh, QWFWQ, I think. Did I? I mean, I, I remember I remember pronouncing it Kifwif, and 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 it's possible that my that my brain glitch and, and I, I figured I figured it was just a, a an honest mistake. So I it was a few questions later. I, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm sure you have to check the, the recording. Yeah, I will. I'll check the recording, and if it, yeah, I mean, it, it, that it, obviously it doesn't affect the results. I just, I just uh... right. I mean, the questions are discrete enough that I can, you know, even adjust the score based on that. I mean, since you presumably knew it, I mean, I, yes. te- technically you didn't get a chance to answer it, but I can take, you know, I can take on faith that you knew it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, if 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 I get credit for uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead instead of Teenage <laughs> Negasonic Warhead, yeah, I said thought about that, that for that, a second that's, longer, that's but I have fair turnaround. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. I, I was impressed that self-impressed. I, 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 I saw a, a, a brief clip from it one time, and then, but 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 that that sort of lodged in my head. Was was she not in the X Men? Why why would she have? It was she, she she she. Well, I mean, there was there was a period during the Morrison run when there were lots of sort of hanger-on students at the Xavier School who weren't necessarily part of the X Men qua X Men, and and she was one of them. Oh, it's a new character created since the the Fox. X-Men deal. I, I, I'm wondering why Fox, why, why Fox. Well, well if you're talking about the original Fox X-Men. X-Men movie. Yeah. 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 The, 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 this, this character in the comics definitely postdates that. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. I wasn't sure they, I mean, I, I, even looking at it, like I was like, I wasn't sure they really needed to, you know, make a deal for the rights. I think it was just kind of airing on the side of caution. They got in trouble for the Hulk. Honestly, they got in trouble for the Hulk movie. So I think they probably try and be careful. Yeah, when, when, when you talk about a deal for the rights, I thought you were going to be going to Quicksilver, but you wound up going to a, to a rather deeper cut even than that. Although, of course, I mean, is a character who starred in, a, in an international blockbuster hit movie count as a deep cut anymore? Yeah, that's, they, that's they, they now have that weird deal with Universal where they, <laughs> they can use Hulk in movies, but only if he has X percent or less of the screen time in the film. He's not allowed to be the star of the film. So mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok, I think, pushed it right to the limit of, of what was allowable without special dispensation because they made that Edward Norton Universal. They sold the rights to Hulk to Universal who made the Eric Bana movie and then Marvel made the, the Ed Norton movie after that. And they got sued by Universal and they settled out of court that, that they could use Hulk in the Avengers movies as long as he was in only so low a percentage of the, of the screen time. Oh, that's very interesting. Nice. Yeah, I think that kind of scared him away from pushing the... Namor is the other one they sold to Universal and, and nobody knows if... <laughs> if anybody can use him in a, in a movie or not, because the, the the terms of the deal are really confusing and Universal never actually made a movie of him. Well, yeah. anyways, I better, uh, I'll be up with my uh, six month old. So I better, uh, better head off to bed. Like, it was fun. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I really enjoyed Thanks, meeting, uh, meeting everyone here and uh, right. had a great time playing the game. Good to meet right. you, Dave. Take care. Bye, Greg. Be well. This has been episode 15 of season two of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shroud. Thanks for listening.